0: It's always when my sinuses start acting up. Okay. They know. Mm-hmm. They always... Know. It's like school picture day. That would always happen. It would always be my worst allergy days. I'd be sneezing up a storm. Yeah. Go in, get my picture, big red nose from, <laughs> from all the sneezing and all. It's like, oh, how does it always know? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days, and not-so-good old days, of World Championship Wrestling, series by series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, and I'm here with Pro Podcasting Illustrated's 2019 Podcaster of the Year, Alec Bridgen. It's an honor to be nominated. And Pro Podcasting Illustrated's 2019 Most
1: Popular Podcaster of the Year, Matrix Mullins. I'm only popular because all my friends are made from Play-Doh. (laughs) <laughs> okay,
2: <laughs> that would explain a lot.
1: Yeah, they smell great.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like I've seen a, I've gotten a real insight into uh, into something that I, I'm not sure I would have preferred to get an insight into, frankly. Uh, tonight, we're taking a look at Starcade '95, the World Cup of Wrestling. A word before we begin on a couple of points. First, this starcade rather frequently turns to Japanese stereotypes in both commentary and angles. It can be uncomfortable or even offensive. I'm going to call out one pre-match segment in particular when we get to it, but just bear in mind there's a lot of jokes and moments on this show that just aren't really well thought out in this starcade, And it's a reminder that wrestling sometimes plays to some pretty bad tropes. Another example of the, they're different, so boo them, mentality. It's impossible to escape on this one. Please do keep that in mind if you're making the choice about whether to watch this or not. This is a very big negative about this Starcade.
2: But well, again, get into the whole thing. There's a whole sort of debate going on right now with a lot of stuff, Friends being the the one that's sort of the focal point for all this. This whole thing of people rediscovering things that 20, 25 years and going, oh, yeah, I forgot about that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then it's like whether or not you should be allowed to be bothered by it. Even if you lived through it like we did, and I'm like, I feel like I should be allowed to. I saw it both times, but apparently some people think I'm not supposed to remember how things are back then. So I don't know.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: With Netflix and the access to, you know, legacy or, you know, you know older shows, some sometimes while you're watching a show that you had fond memories of, it, it won't ruin the show for you, but it, you definitely won't appreciate it like you did just because you're like, oh, oh that no, why'd I laugh at that? Or, you know, yeah. maybe I just, you know, I know that's the character or the archetype they're playing, but I don't know, it doesn't really fit with how I feel about things now.
0: Yeah. And our second note. This is our first show of many to feature Chris Benoit. Now, Benoit is going to be featured on WCW shows from 1995 until 2000, when he and several others left for the WWE. He will also show up on a few shows in 1992 and 1993 in other series. In 2007, Chris Benoit murdered his third child, Daniel, and his wife, Nancy Benoit formerly Nancy Sullivan, who portrayed woman in WCW and was married to Kevin Sullivan from 1985 through 1997. Chris Benoit then committed suicide. There will be uncomfortable moments during Benoit's appearances, most notably a storyline running from 1996 to 1997, in which Nancy is involved in a feud between Chris Benoit and Kevin Sullivan. We are still going to discuss those moments, but let me be clear. Our opinions about that storyline regard only the television storyline itself, and should not be taken as judgment or opinions of the actual people involved. Similarly, our discussions regarding Chris Benoit overall reflect only his performances as a character in WCW, not Chris Benoit as a person. Our sympathies are with those affected by the 2007 tragedy, and no disrespect is intended from our discussions.
2: I mean, yeah, it's a weird thing for me because so I started watching wrestling in two thousand, or really started watching wrestling. And I so I discovered him when he started WWE. Mm-hmm. like right after he leaves these shows basically. Up and through till it happened. So yeah, it hit me pretty badly. I'm still not really sure how I feel about the whole thing. Yeah. I have a lot of mixed emotions about it. And how I can sort of reconcile the person and the performer? I try to
0: separate it, but yeah, I most people that I never really fully separate art from the artist, and it's especially hard in wrestling where you know he's Chris Benoit, but he's playing the character Chris Benoit. Right. It's maybe even a little easier with like a Hulk Hogan, where there's at least a name difference between the actual person and the yeah. and the character, where you can say he's playing the role. But for Benoit, sure. I think for me, it's particularly hard. Mm-hmm. I just hope to get across that we we don't want to give offense with sure. anything that we've said and I hope that we don't and if we do I I hope that we can find a way to make amends. Mhm.
3: Starcade
0: 1995 was held on December 27th, 1995 at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee in front of 8,200 fans, 6,018 fans paid. It received about 95,000 pay-per-view buys, which, you might note, is a big drop from last year's 140,000. That is. In fact, if we exclude starcade 87, the first pay-per-view edition when the WWF played hardball, the 1995 has the lowest pay-per-view buy total yet. Hmm. Before the show opened, the crowd saw two dark matches. Those were Diamond Dallas Page versus Dave Sullivan. Dodged a bullet there. (laughs) (laughs)
2: At least we won't have 600 of those matches on pay-per-view.
0: Oh, God. That's like two. The other one was the American Males, Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Scotty Riggs, versus the Blue Bloods, Lord Stephen Regal and Earl Robert Eaton. After the show... Just for completion's sake, there's another dark match, that being Kensuke Sasaki versus the One Man Gang for Sasaki's WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. Now on most of our shows, we focus on the storylines match by match, but in this case, the majority of this show focuses on the World Cup of Wrestling, a competition between WCW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. So Al... Why don't you give us the storyline set up for that?
2: This is the first year that Nitro exists as a viable option to get storylines, which is nice. The problem is that they still have like six shows, <laughs> and the rest of them are not on the network. So, for example, WCW Saturday Night is only up through early 1993, so that's no help. Uh, they have a thing called WCW Pro Wrestling, which seems a bit redundant in the name if you think about it. Yeah, a little bit. And, and like two other shows, I believe, Um, I, I might be overexciting that bit, but so watching Nitro Street through, I'm thinking I'm getting all the story, but then I'm really not. One show, Bishop promises to give you news about Starcade on the next episode, and then they just announce what the show is. I'm like, oh, so here's A and there's C, but where's B? <laughs> How'd you get from, what's the show going to be, to it's this? <laughs> I- It basically revolves around a weird sort of story that Bobby Heenan is demoted to Saturday Night for a while. And he starts making a deal with Sonny Ono, who's a manager slash businessman slash six other things. Because in wrestling, you never have one job. And Heenan convinces them that he has something to sell them, which is the show itself. (laughs) WCW Saturday Night. Which, even in this point i'm not sure how much that's really worth but you get 1995 is like the worst year domestically like ticket sales wise for wrestling in quite a while so you're like buying the least valuable product of a company at like the least valuable time for a said company but i guess they wind him and dined him and gave him all these gifts that he alludes to on nitro but almost none of this happens on the actual show that Mm -hmm. should be telling you what's going to happen
0: don't don't undersell WCW Saturday Night, though. It is the mothership. Oh, okay. <laughs> As Dusty Rhodes calls it all the time for, I think, the next year after this. <laughs> 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 I love Dusty Rhodes.
2: <laughs> to be fair, he's on that show, which is probably why it's... it's exactly, to, yeah. It's the most important show. But so it basically comes down to, he tried to sell his show to Sonny Ono, which he claimed to own, and didn't. So I guess to make recompense, they decided to have 80% of their biggest show of the year as them fighting New Japan uh, for a suddenly existing World Cup of Wrestling. So we get a bunch of matches, because we don't really need story, I guess, for our mid card. So now we have all these people on the show. A lot of them are basically a one-off appearance, as far Mm -hmm. as pay-per-view goes, for little to no reason. Excluding the fact that, as I said, wrestling is down in 1995, it's kind of easy to see why it's maybe not the biggest buy rate, because they're not selling you on, here's these big matches of stories you gotta see, it's, oh yeah, we're doing this instead. Yeah. <laughs> as bad as the Butcher storyline was with Hogan, at least it was a long-running story that culminated in terrible fashion, mind you, at the show, where this is, now this is going on instead. Have
1: yeah. fun, watch this. Wouldn't it have been better, uh, we might have mentioned this, if they actually had some of the matches in Japan?
0: Yeah. They could have done the the uh, Starcade. what, 85, 86, I think mm-hmm. it was, where they did the two arenas? Yeah. That would have actually been kind of interesting to
1: do a two arenas thing, but internationally. You could yeah. record one early, so if you had to have someone in the main event, you know, like elimination or something, you know, they could be at the other place yeah. on yeah. time. Yeah. Right.
2: Explain that thing like, jumped on a bullet
1: train to get back
2: from Tokyo to uh, Nashville. Yeah, yeah. There's one straight trip, like, it's like an hour.
1: Trans-Pacific uh, maglev.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He just rides a Scorpelhawk hawk there, <laughs> Passes his <laughs> way to travel.
1: Well, they do have electrical uh, tail segments, so I-, I could see that. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I'm learning more
0: about the the, the hawk mythology this episode, too. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the life cycle is very unique. They start out as a polyp and and grow inside electric eels, and then they become acclimated to uh, electrical fields, and then, you know, something eats that, and and there you go.
2: I'm trying to picture that in Sir David Attenborough's voice. Yeah. Just really get the nature feel of that.
5: (laughs) As countries across the world compete for global dominance... World Championship Wrestling has accepted the challenge from New Japan Pro Wrestling in a best-of-seven battle for the World Cup of Professional Wrestling. Canadian Crippler Chris Benoit meets High Flying Jushin Thunder Liger. Guerrero against Otani. World TV champ Johnny B. Bad against Masa Saito, the Torture Master. We'll see Kanamoto against Wright. The total package: Lex Luger faces Masahito, World Champ Savage against Tenzan, and Sting faces U.S. Champ Suzuki in an epic contest of global proportions at Starrcade 1995.
1: That music is amazing, it's like isn't a, it? It's like a Thundercats Mega Man crossover.
0: Yes, I was thinking Street Fighter, but I can see, yeah, I can see both of those too. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's Thunder Liger that, that made me think of the cats. <laughs> uh, there you go. There you go. Well, he was an anime character. Yes, he was. An opening video package oddly starts out suggesting that countries around the world are fighting for dominance, showing several national flags, before admitting that Starrcade is really just about WCW versus New Japan Pro Wrestling, neither of which is a country, by the way. During the opening video package, they misspell Tenzan, using an S in place of the Z. 30 seconds into the show. Good start, guys.
2: It's a quote. You got to check that
0: box. <laughs> I guess so. They're close on the keyboard. Yeah, I guess so. Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show once his microphone starts working alongside Bobby the Brain Heenan and Dusty Rhodes. <laughs>
2: Baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's required me to say his name. It, right it is. That. Okay. Yeah. Rhodes is interestingly wearing what looks kind of like a tux jacket. But over a black shirt with blue jeans and a black cowboy hat, somehow it kind of actually still works as an outfit.
2: Yeah, it's like when you watch local news and they're convinced they're never going to be standing up, mm-hmm. so they just wear whatever jeans g- they feel like over their real like fancy outfit, <laughs> and then they have to stand up and they realize, oh, you can see that. Oh,
4: yeah, yeah.
0: Dusty says we're going to see Clubberin and Heine kickin'. He builds up the participation of good friends Sting and Lex Luger as competitors in a triangle match, and Tony says that it'll be one of them or the also-participating Ric Flair facing Randy Savage for the world title at the end of the night. Heenan says there couldn't be a better place than Nashville for Dusty, and I thought he was kind of going to turn that into a jab at Dusty, but he actually just compliments Dusty on his boots and hat and Dusty smiles at him, (laughs) so guess he can sometimes be nice. Heenan says Savage has a bad arm and bad back, and he's predicting Ric Flair will be the new World Heavyweight Champion.
6: Could be a new World Champion, and someone will walk home with a World Cup of Wrestling. Let's go to the ring as we kick off Starcade, the 1995 edition.
0: So, our first match is Chris Benoit versus Jushin Thunder Liger, accompanied by Sonny Ono. The referee for this match is Randy Eller.
2: Benoit, at the time, in the early '90s, originally wrestled in Japan as Wild Pegasus. Which it's is gotta be a great name. It's gotta be up there in the ring names people had.
0: That that's pretty awesome. So in
2: 1991, he has a match against Jushin Liger. He has a uh, Luchas de Apuestas match where it's mask versus mask, and not really spoiler, Jushin Liger did not lose his mask because he's wearing it of the show, and has been wearing it for twenty odd years after that. <laughs> So he actually unmasks Benoit in Japan. So it goes from being a masked wrestler to being the one we know him as.
0: Okay. I was not actually aware that Benoit was a masked wrestler as Wild Pegasus. I
2: actually was not either. Huh. Hmm. The other thing I have note is that in 1994 and 1995, they both competed in the Super J Cup, which is basically a big tournament they have between the junior heavyweights in Japan. However, due to the tournament format... It wasn't round robin, so they never actually meet in any of the shows. Oh, okay. Two years in a row in this big tournament, but they never actually fight each other.
0: Interesting.
2: Yeah, they get really close a couple times. Okay. But they never actually do it. Oh, and Benoit won the 1994 one.
0: Oh, okay. This match starts the World Cup of Wrestling. This is a best of seven series. The first team, WCW or New Japan, to win four matches wins the trophy. We get these really strange match cards at the beginning of each match. Rather than just displaying on the screen, WCW has gotten all fancy, and they have the picture of the two wrestlers just kind of lazily drift down the screen like a falling sheet of paper. <laughs> it looks strange. It continues all night and really never looks that good. Someone's clearly inspired by
2: like, screensavers. Yes. They're like, ooh, I have an idea. Remember those, those clocks and floating windows things? Yeah. Let's use that.
0: That's like one of, those, one of those cases where someone was like, ooh, I learned how to do a special effect and never questioned if they actually should. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. See, also Max Magician.
0: Yes. <laughs> Except for that one scene where the knights just disappear without any special effects, and mm-hmm. they really should have done a special effect there.
1: <laughs> I like the one where the little kid is turned into a mouse and he gets thrown and he says we before he dies. He's like <laughs> flying through the air.
0: I forgot that part.
2: Yeah. If I can help, my last word will be we, so. <laughs> yeah, no.
1: I'm hoping
0: for yippee. Maybe he was proclaiming his love for Nintendo. Huh. <laughs> Sadly, Benoit does not come out with the awesome Four Horsemen theme, despite being a member of the faction at this time. I was really bummed about that. That's one of my favorite wrestling themes.
2: Yeah, it's weird that in both cases, we should get it. We don't.
1: Yeah. Oh, sorry, is it a coincidence that someone who is Pegasus becomes a horseman? Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Like his wings were clipped.
2: Yeah, the mask was his wings, so now he's a horse. Yeah.
1: There All tied together. Yep.
0: Synergy. <laughs> Liger has an amazing cape this year. Red, okay. gold, and silver. It looks awesome. <laughs> Dusty calls Sonny Ono Sonny Bono. He then corrects him. Heenan predicts that New Japan will walk away with the World Cup, and Tony says that Heenan has sold out. Heenan denies it. He lists off a bunch of expensive goods—Alexis, TVs, watches, pearls, diamonds, and the like—but says they didn't give him all of it. He earned some. <laughs> not the strongest defense.
2: We're starting the tournament for the World Cup, and we have not seen it yet.
0: Yes, that is true.
2: Just keep track of how long it is till we actually get to see the cup that we're fighting
0: for. Yeah. We get a quiet USA chant as we start for Chris Benoit, who's from Canada.
2: Yeah. <laughs> At least later he they change it from him being from Canada to residing in Jack, like Georgia, I believe. Yeah. So that you can excuse it then if you just don't know who he is, but yeah.
0: But not on this show.
2: Oh no. No pun intended.
0: Liger uses speed and agility to keep ahead of Benoit and hits rapid arm drags and a drop kick to send Benoit rolling out of the ring, then follows with a flipping Suntan. The announcers, in a theme for the night, vary between talking about the World Cup as the USA versus Japan or WCW versus New Japan. Back in, Benoit overpowers Liger, but Liger comes back with a Hurricane Rana and a flipping axe kick that actually earn him applause from the crowd. Benoit gets a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker to win the crowd's love back, but Liger again counters everything else he tries, and Benoit rolls out. Liger starts to dive, but Benoit dodges, so Liger bounces off the ropes and back into the ring. Dusty says he did a little (laughs) tipsy-toe, and he was teetering on totter, and Heenan is incredulous. Liger holds the ropes for Benoit, but Benoit walks around to get in elsewhere. Benoit takes over with a great snap suplex and a huge backdrop and the lion tamer hold. I'm not sure if it's actually called that yet or if that's a Jericho thing.
2: Shouldn't it be the Liger tamer?
0: Yeah, that would would make sense, yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: Dusty says that Benoit has Liger's back strapped and his liver quivering. (laughs) And Heenan asked Tony what that meant. I'm not here as a translator, brain, Tony yells. (laughs) Benoit cuts off Liger's comebacks with hard strikes. Great German suplex, but Liger gets a cool elevated bow and arrow and turns that into a dragon sleeper hold that looked like it really hurt.
2: Yeah, it's a good good yoga pose as like, well. Really, like,
0: wrenches back on him. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very visual all of a sudden trying to portray that hold. Sorry. It's a nice arc to his back there. Too. Yeah. Sure felt great. They trade hard hitting counters, and Liger tries going up top, but Benoit springs up and snaps Superplex's Liger down. Really fast Superplex there. It gets two. Liger dodges Benoit's swan dive headbutt and gets an impressive power bomb, counting along with the ref, which makes it a little weird when he protests getting a two-count a moment later. You know exactly what count he was on, Liger. To be fair, to be
2: fair, to paint use the metric system, so that does create a discrepancy.
0: No. Worth a try. Benoit gets back in control with rolling German suplexes and a power bomb, and hits his swan dive headbutt. But suddenly, Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart and an amazing Kevin Sullivan-themed jacket come to ringside. Sullivan yells at Benoit, and Benoit gets distracted, so Liger hits a somewhat sloppy Frankensteiner for the three-count and the win, putting New Japan up one to zero. Boy, Jimmy Hart's lifetime dedication to Hulk Hogan sure lasted long, huh? Yeah. <laughs>
1: like a month.
2: Yeah. A question about his jacket in this case. So Sullivan did not have a match, in the a dark match for this show. No. So Sullivan comes out wearing his gear and his cloak, which I assume he just wears all the time.
0: I mean, he has Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. It's it's rumored he's a druid, you know. I've heard that. Yeah.
2: (laughs) That explains so much. But Jimmy Hart was not managing him for a match, and he wears this theme jacket for his wrestlers he's managing when he's out with them. But so he was just backstage, I guess because he's hanging out with Sullivan, he has to wear Sullivan's jacket in case they go anywhere together? Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I mean... Like,
2: they are going to get coffee, he's got to make sure he, they know he manages them by wearing his jacket.
0: Well, I'm sitting next to you wearing a Alec Pridgen jacket right now.
2: Well, yeah, but I insist on that.
0: So. Yeah, see, so Kevin Sullivan probably insists. He is a crazy man, so, I mean, I, I would wear a jacket with his face on it, too. It's in the contract. Yeah. <laughs> the uniform. There there you go. It's it's a work uniform. That's what oh, it is. okay.
2: I'm just saying, I, I think this unplanned arrival might be less unplanned than they yeah. say. Thoughts on this one? I would say, okay, I'll get to the good stuff first, because you kind of know what my obvious but to the scenario is going to be, but we'll get to there eventually. So I really like this match as far as the action up to the end. If you don't know Japanese wrestling... They're really about all about strong style, it's strong strikes, strong holds. Like you see it with the sort of torque he puts on that bow and arrow in the back mm-hmm. bend. Cause they super train your neck in Japan. You like sit for like an hour straight with like a full bridge on your neck. Ow. I mean, I not be that the exact time, but basically they really focus on that. That's like the core of your routine is be able to bridge and balance on your, your neck like that. Actually, watch Japanese matches. You're like, how are they getting up for that move? Because they have like the most invulnerable necks in the world. Basically, <laughs> that sort of informs how matches like this are, where they are hitting each other really hard. They're definitely slamming each other around. Aside from certain things where they cooperate, like the ending spot, it's kind of the thing. Like with Anderson, you could see someone watch it and think, "Oh, this seems real," mm-hmm. because they're really thrown to the round. They cover the little gaps that you have to do, cooperate pretty well. So it definitely creates the illusion really well. So in the obvious but, of course, is the finish. Because for some reason, we have to have interference in this match. And we have to have it done not in the best executed way. Because Benoit clearly could go for a pin. And so worst case scenario, Sullivan runs and attacks him and he went by a DQ. Right. Because he just hit the, the headbutt. There's no reason to do anything but that. And it really would be a better insult to the guy, if he's running to get you, to pin the guy right in front of him and go, yeah, look at what I'm doing.
0: And as we know, Kevin Sullivan, if you're pinning a guy, will very nicely just kind of teeter on the top rope until you're done pinning and then jump into the ring.
2: Yes, exactly. (laughs) He really should have taken that into into account. (laughs) The way they did the Hurricane Runner was a little weird, because I know he can do those moves better. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think they should have had him take a power bomb and get pinned.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Because you can... Move into that really easily. You could, like, you know, jump at Liger and you grab him and counter him, but they went the way it did. There's certain things you can use it helping the realism because it's not like we see of nowadays when people take head scissors or her karanas. You can tell they're just doing a front flip. There's like no connection between the legs. Yeah. It's just like, it looks neat, but you know, it's, it's all cooperative. So I wanted to use it for that, but it really is just kind of an awkwardly timed and positioned version of move. I know they could do better.
0: I think for me, it's just that that's literally the only move in the match that looks like that, no, where yeah. everything else is so smooth that that makes that stand out as looking awkward, where if other moves in the match had felt like they were fighting for the move, no, you- I would have been more willing to say that that looks fine, because like, I can see where you're saying where yeah, it kind of yeah. makes him look like he fought for it, but it's just like, for the entire rest of the match, it hasn't been like that, so it's oh, yeah, clearly no, not the yes. theme with that one.
2: No, I fully concede that point, yeah. Yeah, that's one of was ones where if you done a backslide, for instance, when people fight for that. That actually does look like right. Yeah, part of the move. But yeah, it's it's a shame that that's sort of Mars the ending of an otherwise a really good match for me.
0: Okay,
1: it's a good first match in that it is not slow. It is not boring. Mm-hmm. It looks pretty fluid. In fact, at some points, I think Liger like jumps down if when he's supposed to fall it, like I don't know if you can't actually go faster, but it, it looks like he's throwing himself into even those falls. They're doing it at like one point five G or something. <laughs> the jump uh, was what it? What's it called? The headbutt? Uh, the sky butt? The swan dive headbutt? Okay, whatever. It's a dumb move. know, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's like, I'm going to jump like a, you know, and just plank in air and hopefully hit my face on something. Yeah. I laughed every single time he did it. It's one of those things, like, it only seems to hurt him when he misses, which makes absolutely no sense to me no, still. No, yeah.
0: Yeah. You're, either way, you're contacting something with your head. <laughs> and
1: honestly, my biggest problem with the match is uh, about 15 or 20 seconds before it's over, I know who's going to win, <laughs> you know, with the interference. So... Yeah. When he came yeah. over and started pointing his finger, I was like, oh, okay, well, script. <laughs> yeah, it's very rare for that to get
0: turned around after one of those, so kind of does give it away.
1: Unless you're like the main character, then you can see that they were setting something up and then you, you still triumph. That's the only yeah. thing that, that uh, seems to be a reversal for that.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with you guys. This was a very nice opener. Had a quick pace, good, crisp, hard-hitting moves by both men. I really liked that, actually, despite the crowd's reactions, Benoit still kind of worked heel and Liger kind of worked face. It felt like they were keeping to their characters still. Yeah, I that. And just accepting that the crowd was going to react differently for this show. So, like, it's Benoit that gets shaken up and rolls out repeatedly, and Liger's the one that keeps pressing the attack. Benoit had some really, really great power moves, and Liger had some really excellent acrobatics, and both pulled out some very cool submission holds in the middle. The ending, like you said, works a bit against it. It's clearly to protect Benoit's reputation as a very new member of the Four Horsemen at this point, but I really would have preferred a clean finish. Mm -hmm. But still, a very hot opener that showed off both men's abilities very well.
2: It's 95% of a really good match, Mm -hmm. and unfortunately the other 5% is at the end.
0: Yeah, despite the ending on it. I'm struggling to think of an opening match that we've seen that was better. Oh, yeah, no. That That's, if not the best opening match that we've seen, it's right up there.
2: It's got to be for sure, yeah.
0: Change the ending, get rid of
1: one flying headbutt, and it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I can see that.
2: As you mentioned, Benoit's feud. So at this point, it's all there because there's a feud between the dungeon and the horsemen. Right. Stuff happened with Brian Pillman in a few months that changed his direction of a bunch of stuff, bombing the horsemen. Which then turned that feud into something else, the personal feud they have going on there.
0: Right. We go back to Gene, who is with Eddie Guerrero.
7: I thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. There's a big buzz back in the locker room. What you've just seen here, Eddie Guerrero, does not set well with you.
8: No, it doesn't set well at all. Kevin had no, no, no reason to be there. That was he Chris had no ben- business. No, no, he didn't. That was Chris Benoit's match. He should have stayed out of it.
7: All right, let's talk about uh, what's going to be taking place here. The World Cup of Wrestling, the best four out of seven right now. WCW is down 0-1 to one to New Japan. Uh, in a moment or two, you're going to be going up against Otati. Size up your match if you would, Eddie.
8: Well, first of all, me, Gene, what I want to do is I just want to tell you what an honor it is to be here representing WCW in the World Cup of Professional Wrestling. I mean to be selected one of the seven out of all the wrestlers out there I mean that's a great honor I'm just happy to be here
7: and perhaps the most prestigious international event ever of this magnitude yes
8: sir it is and I'm just proud to be here and one thing I'd like to say you know talking about Otani he is a tremendous athlete and what I had to do to prepare to be here is I had to be at the top of my game and that's what I did I went out I put the hours in the gym I put the hours in the ring just to be able to give my best today because that's what I'm going to do I'm representing you the WCW fan and I'm not going to let you down I'm going to go out there, give it my best like I always do, and hopefully come out a winner.
7: By the way, I saw Eddie Guerrero back here doing some push-ups, doing some squats, getting ready for his big match with Otani. It is part of the World Cup. It is part of Starcade 95 from Nashville, Tennessee. Right now, let's get back up to the ring.
0: So uh before we talk about the interview, we should mention, just as Eddie starts talking about the honor of representing WCW in this interview, somebody opens the door in the background uh-huh. and starts to enter before clearly spotting the camera and just backing right out really quickly. I was sad. I, I, I watched it a few times to see if I could identify who it was, but it was just too, like, caught in shadows still to identify it. <laughs> just like, do you guys not mark the doors to prevent that? I don't know. It seems like that was entirely avoidable.
2: Based on the last match, I assume that was probably Kevin Sullivan. He just goes anywhere he feels like. And I
0: don't know, it looks too tall to be Kevin Sullivan, though. Seems like a taller guy.
2: So it looks like Kevin Sullivan, but taller?
0: That does narrow it down a bit. Oh, gal, no.
2: <laughs> no, if it was Dave Sullivan, he would have tripped going through the door.
0: <laughs> no, that'd be the Shockmaster.
2: No, he would trip going through the wall.
0: That's true. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Guerrero feels a little flustered at first, but ends up pretty much fine. Perfectly acceptable promo, but pretty basic, babyface, I'm gonna try my best kind of promo. It's always something I appreciate, though, when a wrestler takes time to promote his opponent, too. And it's nice that Guerrero highlighted the importance of the event and his match by building up just how much he's worked to be ready for it. So this was fine to me, but nothing particularly special. Guerrero will become a pretty great promo guy, but right now he's just kind of generic babyface. He does have a really nice sparkly white and red jacket, though.
2: And to be fair to him as well, you know, a year ago from that point, he's wrestling almost entirely in Mexico, where the focus on character and like promos is like completely different there. It's much more about, you're this guy wearing a mask, wearing this outfit, wrestling your mat. If you cut promos, that's good. Your goal is not to be a character who performs. Your goal is to be a performer, and if you have a character, that's great. Mm-hmm. So, given he's going through a transition to that, I give him a little bit of pass.
0: Yeah, and it's not like they're giving him a ton of story to work with tonight or anything either. Right.
1: No, that was a good promo. The thing that stood out to me though is actually uh, towards the end, he's like realizing that it's a big event. He's like,
5: "Stargate." <laughs>
1: <laughs> screams it into the thing. I was
2: thinking that too. Yeah, it's like a sudden ramp up. It's like he's <laughs> yeah. reading
1: off a teleprompter that's the only thing that's bold and underlined. <laughs> the
2: other possibility is that Eric Bischoff, who we don't see, is behind him with like a cattle prod and zaps him like to Starking! Starcade. I'm sorry.
4: <laughs> yeah. Anyone yeah.
1: would. Or maybe <laughs> just that at the end, it's just like the only part he rehearsed. <laughs> there you <laughs>
0: it's
4: go. It's like
1: he's confident. He does seem
0: to, like, get a lot smoother as the promo goes on, where at first he's kind of stumbling a little bit. I think Gene kind of does help by jumping in, Mm -hmm. saying the no business line, and that kind of, like, gets him focused on it and helps him get past that point.
2: It's definitely a a more subtle version of the actor giving the other person his line. Yes. Then you get sometimes where, like, don't you mean you're really concerned? Oh, (laughs) yes, I'm really concerned.
4: (laughs) What he said. Yeah.
0: So our second match is Alex Wright versus Koji Kanemoto with Sonny Ono. The referee for this match is Nick Patrick. I do have to note that it's not mentioned at all in the show, but
2: fairly recently before the show, Kanemoto won the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, which had previously been held by Juseneta Liger. Hmm. And this is supposed to be, at least according to Japan... Uh, official title defense for this belt, which is the first time it never happened, by the way. Hmm. So of course, WWE equally does not comment on history being made.
0: The, the first time the belt was defended, or the no, first- no in, in the United States. Oh, okay. So that's the first time that the belt was defended in the United States.
2: Yeah, like at all. Oh, okay. The next time
0: there's a big title match involving
2: it is uh, about four years from now, which involves Liger, which is good, but involves him being hit of the head by a bottle of tequila, which is not good. So in how how you feel about this match, it does not involve that. Okay. <laughs> I won't give much context. You can look that up yourself. It's really bad.
0: Kanemoto comes down to the ring in a pretty cool-looking black-and-white G with a silver belt. It felt like just the right mix of serious and flashy to me. He also, it must be noted, has very wonderful fluffy hair, which somehow remains wonderful fluffy hair, all the way through the match and afterwards, it like never gets the the pressed down sweaty look or anything. I have no idea what he uses, but it's a good product. <laughs> yeah, give it. A, yeah, I don't know, man. I just noticed that.
2: <laughs> no, no, I I, I absolutely had that note as well. Wh- whatever happens with Brock Lesnar, how much he sweats like gallons just walking to the ring. The like the opposite for Kanemoto.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, as he comes to the ring, also we get a terrifying shot of a guy dressed like Hulk Hogan in the crowd who is screaming at the camera. It's it's very frightening. Yeah,
2: he didn't realize that Hogan was storyline suspended two weeks before the show <laughs> because I guess he didn't feel like being on it. Yeah, but I'll get more to that later.
0: <laughs> Alex Wright still has his techno dancing music. But while he still does the backflip off the top, he doesn't
1: dance today. Sorry, John. I was actually quite disappointed. I, I bet. Because that was a highlight for you last show. I mean, it's entertainment. And admittedly, last show
0: didn't have that many highlights. So <laughs> <laughs> They did make a shirt explaining
2: how Alex Rice's dance does work. Oh, yeah? If ever, yeah. You can Google it. It's pretty amazing. If you ever find it, I will get it.
4: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's very informative. I
0: did did like his black leather jacket this time. It had the pretty cool logo on the back, I thought. Oh, yeah. They trade hammer locks and arm locks, and the crowd chants USA for Alex Wright from Germany. Jeez. (laughs) Uh, Two for two so far. The right stuff. (laughs) Dusty randomly talks about hanging out at a club, tripping the light fandango. (laughs) And Tony compliments his dancing. Kanemoto gets a cool spinning leg takedown and works the leg, but eats Enziguri. Wright works Kanemoto's arm, but Kanemoto reverses and Wright cartwheels free and hits a fast series of throws, finishing in a head scissors and a drop kick. Tony and Heenan both nicely note that Wright starts out both moves the same way, so his opponent doesn't know which is coming, which is a nice touch. hmm Kanamoto slumps on the ropes, but doesn't seem to like his location, so he just kind of gets up and moves elsewhere and slumps again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right cross-bodies both of them out. I guess you don't get DQ'd for going over the top rope on that because you also went out? Yeah. So it balances out, I guess?
2: <laughs> You're being DQ'd while getting your DQ credit by being thrown over the top okay. rope. Okay. So it's right. it's null. Yeah, yeah so it's Wash. a
0: DQ null. Okay.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: There's a rule book for this. We we we've discussed
0: it. Yeah, we we need to we need to write that rule book at some point. Wright keeps Kanamoto out with a baseball slide and dives out onto him. Back in, Wright goes for a sleeper, but Kanamoto backs him into the corner and takes over with strikes, leading to a really nice spinning wheel kick. Kanamoto hits strikes and a drop kick in the corner and puts Wright on the apron, and then they just kind of hold on for a bit. Dusty wonders if Kanamoto is trying to uncle Wright and Tony asks if Hina knows what that means. Hina says it's the opposite of anting. <laughs> oh, man. Kanamoto finally dropkicks Wright off the apron and dives on Wright. Wright gets the better of an outside brawl, but back inside, Kanamoto gets a tiger suplex for one and a moonsault, but lets Wright up. It costs him as Wright counters a whip into a German suplex for two and gets a jumping leg lariat and back elbow. Yeah yells Wright, attempting to have a personality. (laughs) Oh come on, guys.
2: (laughs) I mean yeah, you gotta (laughs) I was mimicking the reaction he gets for doing that.
1: Oh okay. Yeah I was just gonna say you didn't have to say you could have said suplex. (laughs) That's more in line with the theme of what this show is. (laughs) Yeah. So never mind. (laughs) Kanamoto
0: counters a top rope dropkick with his own dropkick, though both mostly miss. Patrick counts to seven, and they're up, trading quick moves, including a Muda-esque spin kick by Kanemoto and a drop kick by Wright that sends Kanemoto, as Dusty calls it, butt over tea kettle. <laughs> <Jeez>. Yes.
2: <laughs> I, I don't want to know what the tea kettle in the house look like. at this point. <laughs> yeah.
0: A right superplex gets two, but Kanemoto counters a whip and catches Wright trying to slip up and over, dropping Wright jaw first on the turnbuckle. Kanamoto hits a double-leg takedown and flips over to hold right down for the three-count and the win, putting New Japan up 2-0. to zero. Amusingly, during the replays, Heenan miscalls Kanamoto's moonsault as a somersault, and Dusty tries to correct him, but calls it a flip. Neither of you guys know what that's actually called, do you? <laughs> no. Uh, thoughts on this one? It's a match made up of, I thought, really good strikes.
2: They had the timing and sort of the snap of those really well. It's not obviously a little different from the more visceral ones you get in the Mm -hmm. Liger-Benoit match. So it's a little, I want to say prettier, but definitely quicker, like flashier moves in general, I would say. But at the same time, it's nice that they don't sort of ignore the fundamentals of it. It's not like a bunch of kicks, but then they have to do holds. Because their holds in wrestling are really good as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They flow really nicely. I guess my real problem with the match is... the ending sequence, they kind of lose the flow of it a bit. By the end, it's, you know, Kanemoto slams him, tries to do a move, and misses. Alex's response is to grab him, slam him, and try to top rope move, which also misses. And then, the finish is, it's well done. It's just kind of a weird anti-climax of a thing. There are all these strikes and counters, it's just, set him down and just float over and pin him.
0: I felt exactly the same way on the finish. It's like, you did big move, big move, big move, big move. Oh, it never, it can't quite take him down. And then, wait, that's it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, a, it's a perfectly fine fine execution on it, but just with all the build, I was expecting something really
1: big at the end and it just like, oh, that's, that's underwhelming. <laughs> right. I thought it was a good match. Again, two energetic matches that had a lot of technical skill, a lot of high-flying. Alex actually kind of reminds me of like a, Dust Wanderboat, Boat, like a, uh, you know, a uh, Steamboat-esque, <laughs> platter, you know, Dust Wanderboat, Boat, and I'm going to try to sell it. Koji uh, really does a good job of selling. Even some of the stuff that Wright does, you know, Koji just fl- will fling himself back, you know, like mm-hmm. there's one kick. It looks like Alex is going quick, but uh, he just touches him and Koji just flies from the the ring and into the, the barrier. Mm-hmm. That kind of made me take notice of him. Good physical prowess uh, and uh, athleticism from both. I'm kind of glad that Koji won, just not necessarily the the way he did. (laughs) Yeah,
0: what what's your feeling on the ending? Is it did that kind of
1: catch you the same way as us, or was it? I wasn't expecting that to be the end. Mm -hmm. And at least it was different than anything else in that match. It wasn't like you know they had tried one move three times and either you know succeeded all three or failed and finally landed it. I honestly thought the end of the match was going to be when they both met each other midair. I thought they were going to end the match there, and you know, have one or the other recover quickly and roll them up. But it just went on for three minutes after that.
4: Yeah, from
0: my perspective, this was a good match, albeit one that got a little bit sloppy at times. They seemed to have a few miscommunications here and there, a few spots where you could tell that they were working something out or clearly moving into position for one another. They just didn't hide the cooperation as well as in most matches, but both men had some very nice moves, and they largely kept up a very fast pace. They built nicely on their spots, too. In particular, Wright's float over in the corner works the first time and gets countered the second, and the series of top-rope drop kick attempts before Wright finally manages to land one solidly is kind of nice, too. Uh, if only he was as skilled at judging the possibility of top-rope drop kicks as the Z-Man, huh?
2: He knows when it's possible and when it's not possible. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, he would have saved himself some pain there. Kanemoto has some very good character work and some great expressions, which helps make up for Wright largely not having much character or expression himself. I liked it, but it could have used more polish, I guess is how I'd put it.
2: There was that nice spot, zerf sort of jokingly I say this, where he has Kanemoto tangling the ropes, and he's, I guess, supposed to do like a shoulder block to the stomach. He kind of just leans up with his, his shoulder his is so
1: gentle,
4: yeah,
2: yeah, it's like he's leaning in to sort of rub his shoulder on his belly, and he's like, "Oh right, I mean, uh shoulder block, second time that yeah fact,
1: he's gaging the distance, yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> there you go, yeah
1: uh I'm just picturing what I was talking about. It's like when those cats they they put their head up against you, it's like mm-hmm. a, a term of endearment, <laughs> <Yeah>. and plotting,
4: <laughs> yes,
2: mostly the latter, yes, yeah. Depending what company you work at, the big show of the year is different, different times. Theoretically, it's Darkade, although this show makes you think otherwise. Uh, for JBSW, obviously WWE or F at the time, it's WrestleMania, which is in March, April, this time of time period. The biggest one, for the most part, for New Japan is Wrestle Kingdom. At that match, Koji Kanemoto had to defend his IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship against... June Thunder Liger, which he lost, and yes, that was in January. <laughs> so streak continues even across the pond in Japan. <laughs> unfortunately, I was kind of looking for Alex stuff up. He seems like, unfortunately, for the next several months he's still on shows, but he's on pre shows or he's wrestling dark matches. Mm-hmm. At least for now, his sort of high point mid card. Phase is kind of past, or I don't, I don't know if they're over him or what, but
0: I know he shows up on Nitros a lot over the course of '96.
2: But his pay per view appearances dropped noticeably yeah, after yeah. the show, up until
0: they started to rebrand him a couple times. <laughs> it's a little bit of shame because he's a good worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We go to the announcers, and Tony breaks down the current status and notes that to win, WCW now has to win four of the remaining five matches. Dusty says that WCW has to regroup, and Heenan holds up a present that he got from Sonny Ono that's a little display of the Japanese and U.S. flags. Again, the the first two wrestlers for WCW were a Canadian and a German. This is not the USA versus Japan. This is WCW versus New Japan. (sighs) Heenan says WCW knows that they're in trouble, and Tony throws to Gene Okerlund, who is with Sonny Ono.
7: Tell you the truth, uh, Tony, I've got Sonny Ono standing by. I'm going to be talking with him at the moment. He is delighted. He is coming out of his shoes right now because New Japan Pro Wrestling is up two to nothing here for the World Cup of Wrestling. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, this past week, an extraordinary amount of money, Giedis, the Long Green, was offered to a superstar. Mark Madden will have complete details on that story tonight during his exclusive hotline report. Give the madman a call from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette at 1-900-909-9900 for all of the inside stories and for what's happening behind the scenes here at Starcade. Call the hotline right now. Take a look at that big uh, mm, grin on your face. Sonny Odo, come on in. It's 2-Zip right now. You obviously are delighted.
8: Pretty soon you'd be 5 zip
7: <laughs> well it won't get to five zip if it gets to four zip we're gonna close down shop
8: <laughs> close down shop and maybe we buy wcw then maybe we buy oh, oh, iowa <laughs> oh,
7: oh, 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 wait a minute buy wcw wcw is not for sale iowa that might be another story i don't know a whole lot about the state
8: this is america everything's for sale
7: <laughs> well, uh, you japanese people would know that yes
8: you noticed as you didn't know nobody knew but we have friends in Dungeons of Doom, I just saw in the first match.
7: <laughs> was, was, was somebody paid off? No, no. Oh, wait Files. a minute now. Was somebody paid off? You just no, say, oh, no. No. no, Sonny?
8: Oh, no, my name.
7: Tony. Well, hey, don't work with me, please. Give me a break. <laughs> right now, let's get back to Eric. Oh, I beg your pardon, to Tony. You are confusing me a little. Oh, so sorry.
6: oh, my goodness. Gene Okerlund is in a quandary right now. Yes, everyone has a price, don't they, bring?
0: I think that's else's catchphrase, uh, Tony. Yeah, but it is a good line.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Just does a very nice, smooth, uh, everyone has a price and then looks really quickly over it, Don't they, brain? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, as for the promo itself, Ono's uh, character plays up the broken English here, which I don't know. I recognize this is a little bit hypocritical from things I've said previously, but I felt more okay with it when it was the fake Russians doing it rather than a real Japanese guy. Right. There's less of a racial angle to it then, I guess. There's a few kind of funny moments in this promo, including Gene accidentally calling Tony Eric, but it's largely just kind of uncomfortable to watch to me. And what does Iowa come into the I looked play? At, I, I was looking for things about that, actually. i right. glad right, you asked. So I tried to find out if buying Iowa was a reference to something, And I'm not sure, but the closest I could find was there was a late 1995 story from the New York Times about the Iowa straw poll, where participation did not require Iowa residency, but a $25 ticket. So campaigns were bringing in people from out of town and paying for them to attend the straw poll to improve their ranking. Hmm. So I guess... Someone might have pre- referred to that as buying Iowa at some point, but I didn't find something with that specific language. Wait, are you applying that money is affecting politics in some way? No, not.
2: Okay, it, good. Not, I was yeah. like, there's no way that's possible.
0: <laughs> but it, it happened. It was like, I think, I don't know, late 1995, that story was. So it would have been fresh in people's minds.
1: I liked how he was he kept on giving all the names for money. <laughs> that was weird. I was really hoping to be like, big cheddar, bread, the whole sandwich. Yeah, just keep keep it going. (laughs) Go for as long as you can, yeah.
2: There's definitely a bit of historical irony that he takes super good offense to the idea that someone would buy WCW. Like, that could possibly happen. (laughs) Yes, true. Meanwhile, Japan, a sovereign country, buying one of our states is like, well, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) That's way more plausible than someone buying WCW. Well,
1: WCW is more established than this Iowa place.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Dusty says, WCW is down two points and needs to catch up. And he says, it's time to bring out their cannons. Tony throws to the third match with, quote, one of the big cannons, Lex Luger. So our third match is Lex Luger with the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, versus Masahiro Chono with Sonny Ono. Referee for this match is Randy Eller.
2: On one of the New Japan Super Shows, which in Japan was called Starcade. as a fun side note. We have more, technically, have more Starcade after the final official Starcade, should we eventually cover them, out, which I think we will. And one of those is Lex Luger defending the title against Chono. Okay. Hmm. But other than that, there's not really a lot of interaction between them.
0: Chono has an awesome looking sleeveless coat, very 1990s comic book vigilante.
3: Mm hmm.
2: All sorts of character for his look that he didn't have last time we saw him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Definitely got more of a, like I said, more of a character to him this time. We He is also still, we're told, the master of the STF, however.
2: I think there's some, some young man named Eric Watts who really wants to battle him over that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Luger, sadly Mitch... De- <sighs> wow, really, Bobby? Okay. <laughs> Keep it. <laughs> I've been watching Baywatching recently, sorry. Mitch is on my mind. <laughs> Luger sadly missed out on the lyrical theme songs, but the generic rock tune that he's got is kind of annoyingly catchy all the same. Jimmy Hart is out with him, and he's wearing an amazing Lex Luger jacket now. Luger gives us a peck jiggle as he comes to the ring. Tony says that both men once held the, quote, gigantic gold belt Randy Savage now holds. I guess the big gold belt got an upgrade in Tony's mind. But to the best of my knowledge, that's wrong. When Luger won the WCW title, it was while Flair had left the company with the big gold belt. And when Flair sent it back, it became the NWA title that was separate from Luger's WCW title. And Luger didn't return to the company until recently, so he missed the whole NWA championship and WCW international championship thing.
2: Well, I don't know if missed is the right word for it. Dodged? (laughs) That's probably better, yeah.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So a bit of a nitpick, as I'm sure what Tony actually meant was that both were former world champions, which is cool, but hey, if I wasn't gonna nitpick, right, why have a review show?
2: Right. <laughs> I will say I have the lovely picture of Chono holding the big gold belts, so I know he did a fact.
0: Hold. Yeah, yeah, he he had it while it was the NWA title. Correct. Luger dominates with strength and sells his own strikes louder than Chono. I've missed you, Luger. <laughs> Chono comes back with flying forearms and a high sidekick called the Yakuza Kick, which Tony localizes as Mafia Kick. Luger rolls out to recover. Back in, Luger starts off strong, but Chono reverses a suplex and beats Luger up as the crowd chants USA. And for the first time, they're chanting it for a wrestler from the United States.
2: He, in fact, got a big bus that lets you know yes, he was yeah. from the United States. So
0: He was your hero. Mm-hmm. Hero. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. Chono uses chokes and tries an eye gouge, but Hart alerts Eller. Chono cuts off a Luger comeback with a sleeper hold into a reverse DDT and grabs the STF, as Heenan predicts that it'll be 3-0, to zero. but Dusty says the hold isn't on quite right, and Luger gets the ropes for a break. See, now I bet Eric Watts would have hooked it in just right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chono fails to block a punch, but Luger stops anyway. Chono and Luger trade blows, and Luger sells everybody's. He's giving. Yeah. Particularly loud Luger sell on a Chono atomic drop. Weirdly, Chono gets to the apron, but then just gets right back in for the Yakuza or slash mafia kick, as Dusty is utterly perplexed by the move's name. Luger counters a Chono top rope move with a back elbow, and Dusty exclaims, He hit him with the Sicilian elbow! (laughs) Somewhat unceremoniously, Luger gets the torture rack, and Chono gives up. WCW gets a point, and the score is now 2-1, to one with New Japan still in the lead. Thoughts on this one?
2: So, in-ring-wise, it's not quite as strong as the previous two, I would say. It's one of those ones where they don't do a whole lot of really interesting stuff in the ring. That said, the match is really defined by two things. One of which is they're clearly... Set up characters,
3: mm-hmm.
2: unlike as I mentioned last time, we saw Chono. He was generic wrestler guy who was really good. Don't get me wrong, but I just felt nothing for his character when I yeah. saw him, and I really struggled with that match we had with him and Muda. As blasphemous as that sounds, I just got very little out of that match, and I really—I I I
0: still would. feel like I should have liked that match more than I did. But right. uh, same way,
2: a few years later, now he's back as a clearly defined character and look, and Luger has fully accepted his sort of over-the-top uh, Lex Luger character selling and all. If the exa- literally the exact same match played out with two different wrestlers, it wouldn't be the same.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Literally every move and secret, if copy-pasted, it, it would not be the same without them. Luger's selling is gloriously over-the-top. Yes. Buy point for me is when he's getting kicked and sells super loud and then kicks back in response and sells the exact same way, at the exact same volume.
0: Yeah, it makes literally the same sound when he's getting hit and hitting someone else in sequence. It's awesome. (laughs) The linear
2: thing is like he was ribbed for like a decade, and someone told him everyone sells like that. And somehow he didn't figure out after I assume hundreds of matches, but no yes. one else did that but him. He's like, okay, maybe this time they'll do it. And then they did, and he's like, that's weird, but I'll I'll keep trying this until it works.
0: So like, I'm the only guy that knows how to sell in the company, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> as you mentioned, there was a one bit with the punch is definitely a little awkward because the yeah, clearly does doesn't actually stop the punch. Yeah. Uh the other part is, as you sort of hinted at, so Chono Clearly he goes to the outside, like he's gonna climb the rope and jump at Luger. But then, I guess realizing the wrong position for the way the match is supposed to end, so he kicks him and runs to the other side of the ring where now he's facing Luger's back, which is a important difference so he can take the back elbow Yeah. And be countered. So I guess he couldn't be countered by a forward punch or an elbow I I don't guess? know. <laughs> it had to work that he's surprised by the elbow and then put the torture rack, I guess.
0: It was a good elbow. No, it it was a
2: good album, no, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It's just setting it up is a little bit awkward, but the, the actual spot itself looks awesome.
2: Right. It's an awkward way to get to where they get, but on the plus side Luger actually wins with the torture rack on pay per view. Yes. On Starcade, finally breaking the streak of him either not winning or winning some other way.
1: <laughs> I, I do have a ther- theory about uh, Luger selling, though. Um, yeah. I okay. think that Luger saw an opportunity for voice acting and wanted to get himself in the, uh, the royalty free area. And he's trying to compete with like the Wilhelm scream. Oh, there you go. He just tries a different variation until he gets the right one. Okay. And the one you hear twice is like the most current version. I think, I think he's trying to try out for like fighting game sound effects.
0: He records it, and then he goes to where they're making the new Street Fighter. He's like, "No, no, this is this is what it should sound like if someone's taking a sonic boom." Mm-hmm. I was like,
5: "Whoa!" <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Thoughts on the match itself? It was pretty formulaic. You know, I don't know Chono as well as either of you, but I did enjoy watching him. There wasn't anything out of other than the finish that was that wasn't out of the ordinary or uh, uh, unique from Luger. Mm-hmm. I do like that he has some charisma, and, and I know that it's not a bear hug, but I'm kind of over the, the crotch shot stuff to set up, you know, especially if it lasts forever. I think the nature boy ruined that for me. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't bad. Again, I'm I still was looking back at the first two matches and, and comparing it to this one.
2: I mean, I'll say you can tell by the crowd reaction, because once he hits the elbow and clearly is going to do the torture rack, the mm-hmm. crowd is like super pops.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: In contrast to like a minute before where they're they're into it, but it's not the same.
1: Yeah. And it's the first Sicilian elbow I've ever seen, and it's done perfectly. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm pretty
4: much
0: with you guys on it. There wasn't a lot to this one, but it was still pretty entertaining. Part of that is the Luger selling, of course. I've really missed that. Oh, yeah. But both wrestlers did get opportunities to do something cool. Chono's kicks looked really good, and Luger's power was quite impressive. Like you guys, the back elbow spot was a nice idea for a counter. And yeah, like you were saying, Al, it's great to finally see the torture rack actually win a match for Luger. Yes. That said, it just feels like this isn't a complete match design. It has the big moments, but nothing that really ties them together. There's not much of a story to the match, just some fun spots. It doesn't really build up to its finish in any way. It just kind of decides to end. It entertained me, but it didn't involve me, hmm. if that distinction makes any sense.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's good to see USA making a comeback. <laughs> slash WCW.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: see uh, was an interesting couple of months and the immediate follow-up. He will win the tag title with Sting and hold the TV title as well. Although, to note, he's not holding them both at the same time, which would be pretty cool. And he wins the TV title at a house show, it's trying to be bad, and holds it for an entire day <laughs> and then loses it back. I think it's part of their weird thing they try a lot later where they just randomly have big matches and title changes at house shows just to see if people were paying attention and yeah. trying to draw up, especially try and draw attention to try Especially, hey, anything can happen, Adam. Yes. Yeah. I do have a fun note for Chono, though. Uh, Chono, at this point in time, is a bad guy, obviously, you can tell by his attire. Um, he's teamed up with Masa Saito, the guy we'll see the next match. Their name is Team Wolf. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that name. I think he's locked MVP just from that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's pretty, it's, uh, that earned him some points. <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd like that. We go backstage to Gene Okerlund, who is with Sting.
7: Johnny, it's beginning to look a little bit like, well, the 27th of December, 1995, here at Starcade. It's New Japan Pro Wrestling 2, WCW 1, and Sting, that's gotta be good news for your team. You got it, it's 2 to 1,
6: and we are coming on strong. Johnny B. Badd is in the ring next, right?
7: That's absolutely right. He I is... want to talk about your matches. Though. Well, he's
6: going to even a score. That's all I want to say. Go ahead. Ask
7: me. Okay. Kensuke Sasaki, a couple of months ago in Japan on foreign oh. soil, defeated you for the United States Whoa. title, a title that he holds right now. Now, that title will not be up wow. for grabs tonight. However, you've got him one-on-one. Perhaps... A measure of revenge here. That was a bad day a
6: couple of months ago in Japan. You had to bring that up, didn't you? The U.S. title is not up for grabs tonight, but guess what? Pride is what is up for grabs. And Sonny, what's that guy's name? Sonny, oh no. Oh no, is right. Talking about buying WCW over the Stinger's dead body, my
7: friend. All right, You got another thing coming. Triangle match, yourself, Lex Luger, victorious just moments ago, and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. The three of you, of course, have been stalwarts here at World Championship Wrestling for the last three or four years. Maybe a little bit longer than that. You know what you're up against. Size this one up. You know what the stakes are.
6: Well, I've sized it up before, and I know you're probably going to ask me your What's favorite deal question. What's the with Luger? Yeah, I know. We'll get to that in a minute. we got this triangle thing going on. It's going to be interesting. All i got to say is... Luger and I are friends, okay? Macho and I are trying to work things out, too. Last week, you could see, it got a little bit edgy, didn't it? And I wanted to get that way again. Luger, my best friend, I love you, pal, but you say you got to do what you got to do. Well, guess what? The Stinger's got to do what he's got to do also. And the Nature Boy, you know the way I feel about you, I'll never, ever, ever. Ever forget what you did to me? Much I want you so bad I can taste you.
7: Okay, it is thick enough. You can cut it with a knife right now. I'm talking about the electricity in the air. As we get back to the announcement in the ring, yeah,
6: ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, with New Japan.
1: He's like a proto John Cena.
4: Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> and he needs therapy. <laughs> He's got these relationship issues. He used to work them out.
2: Yeah. It's funny you meant to say that because John Cena originally was the prototype. Oh, yeah. So true. he's a yeah. proto-prototype.
0: Oh Yeah, there you go. All right. Yeah, unusual Sting promo here. He's a bit more confrontational with Gene than normal, but he has his usual big personality and makes good use of it to build up the kind of complex angles that have been happening around him. They make good use of Sting's prior loss to Sasaki to build up their, at this point, still potential match. And they highlight Sting's friendship with Luger, who is just about enemies with Savage at this point.
2: Well, he he literally fought him. He tried to win the title off him, like, two weeks before the show.
0: Right, but, I mean, it's gone beyond just competition to actually, like, Luger's kind of playing between face and heel.
2: I mean, well, he tried to break savage's arm at one point yeah like yeah. a month ago so yeah yeah i'd say it's gotten pretty bad
0: yeah so uh where sting has been still close to hogan and savage so it's an interesting angle that they've got going on there sting also effectively builds up his rivalry with savage and his of course long-standing feud with rick flair so he really did a lot to focus on the elements of the triangle match and world title storyline tonight they pack in quite a lot here but i think it works well overall. And I like that Sting took a moment to build up Johnny B. Bad, too. Mm-hmm. It really takes a moment to make sure that they get that in, which I appreciated.
2: Yeah, There's a lot of long-running debate especially as to getting more character versions of Sting as to which is the best version of Sting.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, Server Sting, the one we'll get next year. Is it sort of the hybrid Sting? Is it definitely not Joker Sting and TNA? <laughs> we all agree it's not that one. At this point, I kind of like sarcastic Sting. <laughs> he's, he's pretty good at sarcasm. Yeah. Really growing on me. Yeah, we have to, as a side note mention that they did refer to Luger, Sting, and Flair as the stalwarts of WCW over the last. Oh yeah, few years? yeah,
0: yes, but Luger not for the past few years. Yeah, and Luger literally just returned in October. And Flair actually not for a couple of the past few years because yeah. he was gone for uh, ninety one and ninety two. He retired, and then yeah, and then retired for last year's show effectively. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Sting, yeah, sure, totally. (laughs) The other ones, maybe not so much.
2: (laughs) Not so much, yeah.
0: Tony throws to the next match and says that Sting's comments were interesting. Tony wonders if Sting may turn his back on his fans tonight with his do-what-he-has-to-do comments. Dusty says that Sting is ready to go and not afraid of consequences, but don't question his integrity. Our next match... Is Johnny B. Bad with Kimberly, the Diamond Doll, versus Masa Sayeto with Sonny Ono. The referee for this match is Nick Patrick. Bad is accompanied by Kimberly, the Diamond Doll, so named because she was previously the valet to Diamond Dallas Page. Bad wears a sparkly black and silver cape that reads Have a Bad Day, and Kimberly is wearing black and silver too. <laughs> we get a quick shot of a fan in the crowd that's holding up a Johnny B. Bad action figure. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Well and next to a actual like poster of him. Yes. Just a weird contrast. Yeah. <laughs> here's what he looks like, and here's him as a tiny doll.
0: <laughs> it's comparison purposes, I guess. Yeah. Scale. Accuracy. Kimberly and Bad each take a blaster and fire confetti to the crowd, but WCW only focuses on Kimberly and Mrs. Bad's. Would have made a <laughs> Would have been a good, rare... Ah, shit. I, <laughs>
3: <Burry-y-burry-bur>. <laughs> n- I don't know n- where n- I
0: club. am sometimes tonight. Oh, my gosh. Would have been a rare good moment for one of your sudden wide shots, WCW. Mm-hmm.
2: That poor guy still strapped to the ceiling filming downward. He's not using him. 75
1: feet in the air. Let me down at least. We could have had the ground crew. <laughs> oh, the, the, the dude that uh, fell over. Yeah, yeah we, we could have, have him the- do it. <laughs>
2: Actually, I kind of wish they had a guy on the ringside where they're fighting towards, Mm -hmm. like holding upward and see if he gets confetti on the lens. (laughs) That would be a great effect to see it fall and cover apart the frame for a
0: second. Bobby Heenan gets in a pretty good line here that people are now calling DDP Diamond Doll-less Page. (laughs) (laughs) Masa Sayeto has a very serious sports star kind of look, which is kind of a good contrast to bad. It's uh, very flashy versus very serious.
2: If you look at Saito's jacket, his name it's written as M dot and his name is spelled out in the back, mm-hmm. like the sort of thing. It has an H at the end of it. Huh. And I've never seen it written or spelled that way in a time. Interesting. I think there is a Japanese thing where you put H at the end of some name but we don't always use it. I've seen a couple versions of that, but
0: Yeah, I mean obviously it's the the names are written with an entirely different character set. So right. Kind of, you know, it's how they Transition that to, to our character set, so...
2: But I've seen a couple other instances where someone the name ends with an O, and I've seen it with and without an H.
0: Interesting. So here's the segment that I mentioned as we began. Yeah. Sonny Ono comes into the ring and takes a microphone and proclaims that Kimberly should be home cooking or doing dishes, and she takes umbrage, telling him off. This is a horrible stereotype, and it's poorly acted besides. Oh, yeah. Not to mention that it makes zero sense for Sonny Ono as a character. The suggestion here is that he has a real problem with women being in the wrestling ring, and he thinks it's only a place for men. At the previous month's show, World War III 1995, Sonny Ono managed women wrestlers Bull Nakano and Akira Hokuto in a tag team match. Ono would continue to manage Nakano and Hokuto, along with Malia Hosaka, through 1996 and, I believe, into 1997. Mm -hmm. In the 90s, by my understanding, there was a real boom in women's pro wrestling in Japan, with multiple promotions springing up to join other long-running promotions entirely dedicated to it. In fact, in 2002, when All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling had to close its doors due, in part, to losing performers to those new promotions— It was, at the time, the longest-running pro-wrestling promotion in Japan at 37 years. Considering that WCW could barely be bothered to have a women's division for most of its run, it's a real laugh to have them supposedly defending female performers here. Oh, and by the way, speaking of WCW's women's division, Medusa literally showed up on Nitro less than a month ago to chuck the WWF women's title in a trash can and proclaim that WCW wasn't just where the big boys play, but now it was where the big girls play. This pay-per-view would have been a great chance to maybe have a match between, you know, Medusa and Nakano or Hokuto, for instance. That easily could have been a part of the WCW vs. New Japan storyline. Oh, and by the way, Kimberly calls Ono Hop Sing, referencing a character from Bonanza who was Chinese. Bad idea all around. This bit was actively insulting and should never have been part of the show.
2: So Akira Hakuto is at this point, and as of recording now, married to Kinzuki Sasaki, mm-hmm. who is part of this tournament and also made with Sanyo Ono.
0: Yeah, this was not a great moment on the show. All right. Onto the match. (laughs) Saito is just too strong for Bad starting out, brushing off his holds and taking him down with ease, leading to the most intense headlock I think I've ever seen, as it looked like Saito was trying to twist Bad's head off. Bad fights to his feet, but Saito pulls the hair to take him down, and wins a resulting brawl. Saito continues dominating, and when Patrick warns him about choking, Ono takes the opportunity to choke Bad with his Japanese flag. Saito gets two counts off of a big back suplex, a clothesline, and a Russian leg sweep before Bad finally comes back with punches, a knee lift, and a top rope double axe handle into his beautiful top rope sunset flip for two. Mm -hmm. Saito bows to Bad, but Bad kicks him. I'm not sure if it was supposed to come off this way, but it felt like Saito was showing respect for Bad's effort, and Bad totally disrespected him for it. Bad knocks Saito down again and gets a suplex, but only gets like half a count. Things seem to get a bit confused, as Bad keeps looking behind him, and Kimberly shouts something. Ono finally gets on the apron, so Bad runs over and grabs him, but Saito hits him from behind. Ono takes Bad over the top rope, and Patrick DQs Saito, tying the World Cup score 2-2. Two to two. The bell rings and the announcer starts to speak, but cuts off as Saito stalks towards Kimberly. Bad comes back in and grabs Saito and lands punches and a couple drop kicks to send him fleeing outside. Saito leans on the apron, and Bad vaults over the top rope and outside, and virtually entirely misses him, splatting on the safety mats. Ow. He's,
2: like, one move away from having a good closing to this sequence, a little of yeah. a mess, but he decides to do his flashy finishing, uh, was it a bad day, I think it's called? I think it's
4: called the bad day, yeah.
2: Yeah. Which is a really nice looking flip, but yeah, the guy is basically in front of where he lands, and he just hops over Guy really beautifully, but does nothing.
0: Saito kinda sells it anyway, and bad chases Ono off before going back in to pose and root for the upcoming WCW wrestlers. Thoughts on this one? I'm not a
2: huge fan of this one. I will say I liked it better the second time I watched it. I was really underwhelmed the first time. I can see strong points for it. As you mentioned Saito at this point has he doesn't have a lot of in-ring flashiness to him. He's a big, burly guy who can grab you hard and can't be knocked down, but that's about all he really has at this point. Bad, thankfully, has a lot of personality and flash to what little moves he's allowed to do. I'll give the match credit. It's kind of interesting Clash of Styles, who's sort of a flashy striker and a no-frills guy. But as well as one of those ones where if Saito was at a different point in his career, like if this was Saito five years ago and Bad at his current state... Might have been more dynamic back-and-forth mm-hmm. contest, where at this point, Saito just can't do a lot. He's 53 at the point of the show, which, credit to credit to do, I mean, I can't do this now. Hmm. It's not a great finish. It's kind of annoying that Bad gets to win, but only by DQ. Yeah. It could be really good,
1: but it's it's okay for what little it is. I, I actually do like their styles, you know. There's a certain rawness to it. Mm-hmm they're not looking to be flashy. They're just trying to power through that move. Nothing looks super clean, but that's that's okay because uh, there's not like a oversell. It looks like there's actually some power behind uh, some of the strikes. Mm -hmm. You know, I I do see that flip over the ropes (laughs) over and over and over in my head. Yeah. But, you know, they could have like saved it. Like you said earlier, you wish he didn't win by uh, DQ earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've already seen a... Over the ropes, non DQ earlier. Yes, um, I guess they're making up for that here. Yeah, he could have easily just threw him back in the thing, and actually was like looked at the ref and said, "Look, I'm a him and him. you know, like and, and <laughs> got a, like a legit. You know, I could see bad doing that or doing a couple moves and then them, Yeah, but I guess it didn't. It wasn't really necessary.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know why they. Th- it's a common thing where like someone that af- goes after the the girl or the the yeah. I guess it is a try to build up one character and not the other. I don't know.
0: I mean, at least that's cut off very quickly in this one. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't a fan of that coming up either. As for the match, I rather liked, actually, what we got of it. Both hit some nice strikes and some suplexes, uh, like you were talking about, John. And Saito really, really wrenched on his holds, which I appreciated, like, none of his holds looked like he was using them to rest at all. Mm-hmm. It was like he's always working on them, which I, which I appreciated a lot. Bad sunset flip off the top rope looked great once again. But this is so short. Mm-hmm. I looked at the match time, and it's listed as 5 minutes and 52 seconds. Yeah. I feel like these guys have more than 5 minutes and 52 seconds in them. I think Bad Bad did for sure. Yeah. I, honestly, for, for my part, I think Saito did too, but... I would have liked to see what more they could do with, say, just double the time. Not like a super long match, but a a little longer than this. As it is, I feel like this barely gets going, and the ending is clearly mistimed. I think Ono was supposed to be up on the apron earlier, so it just doesn't end up working quite that well. Give this, say, five more minutes and time the ending right, and I think the match would actually probably be quite good. But it just doesn't get the time to fulfill its potential, really.
2: I understand where you're coming from, where he does look back like two times really quickly for Ono and seeing it again, especially with that in mind, it is a giveaway that he's waiting for him to be there. Mm-hmm. But I will say, at least Ono had interfered before. So it's not like Ono was never like, didn't do anything. Suddenly he's staring over there where he's at for no reason.
4: Yeah. True. I'll,
0: I'll give you that. But also, there's that really odd break of the pinfall, too, mm-hmm. where he literally gets like half a count. Yeah, And so what I'm thinking was probably supposed to happen is he was supposed to go for the pin. Ono was at that point supposed to mm-hmm. jump up, thereby the ref would get up and go over and look at Ono. That would cause Bad to get up. Mm-hmm. So Bad's thinking that that's happened and goes ahead and gets off, but for no reason.
2: Oh, you yeah, no, I, I will absolutely not say that it goes 100% smoothly. Mm. I just think... If you don't think about what it's probably supposed to be, just look at it for what it is. It's him sort of acting nervous before he's about to probably do a big move to Saido and then on the second or third, you know, quick glance, he sees the guy, and then it goes right to that finish. It It's not a smooth way it works, but... I don't know, I'm not super bothered by that. It's still a DQ finish in the match, I don't like it, but... It's an okay version of it, if anything.
1: I, I can't defend the DQ on this one. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I will say this on this side on Saito. Saito is one of the few people who has a name, move named after him. Mm-hmm. There's literally a Saito suplex. Yes. So you can't take that away from him. Nothing else. No, no.
1: It's good to see Johnny be bad, uh, even though I don't really care for the name. Um, <laughs> 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 Kick him butt. So, so bad.
2: Saito would wrestle practically for WCW up until about nay. His last match in WCW, I think, might be ever, might have a random appearance, one off later, is itching enough, it's him and Chono, so Team Wolf. Oh, yeah. good. On WCW Saturday night, not Nitro for some reason, against Harlem Heat, so it's kind of a mixed bag of quality there. That'd be interesting. Now, Bad's is a different story. So, as I mentioned, he briefly loses title to Luger, but he gets it right back. However, he then wrestles a match in March, where he quickly drops the title again. And that proves to be his last match because there was some contract issue with WCW so he loses his title on and they get Saturday night again, of all places. Shouldn't be their high-profile show when Nitro exists, but they blow off a lot of stuff there. And that's his last match for for WCW. Mm -hmm. He will briefly come back on one Nitro, like be showing the audience to tease a match, apparently, but never actually comes about. He's gone to WWF to
0: be the wild man Mark Marrow. <laughs> or the wild man Mark Marrow, as they initially introduced Correct. him.
2: <laughs> Mark Marrow <Mar-Rinallo>. and Yep. Number <laughs> Johnny B. Bad, fortunately, in the Starcade run, John. Yep. Oh, well. <laughs> Was it bad while it lasted?
1: Yes. <laughs> Two D's.
2: I like the begrudging response to that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That was earned. I-, I understand.
1: You know what? I am really glad that they didn't do it like any like crazy stereotypes with like green powder or any of the.
0: True. Yeah, we don't get we don't get the mist or anything.
1: Yeah, you don't get any of that. That that is true. I'm kind of surprised that that
0: stuff doesn't show up tonight. We go back to the announcers, and Heenan says that he's pretty sure New Japan can still win it. Dusty and Tony criticize him for cheering for New Japan. Dusty says he needs to go get his rope, which, um, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Heenan insists that he's not cheering for New Japan and gives some really good innocent faces as Tony moves on to talking up Super Brawl. We get video clips and the Super Brawl logo, but nothing too exciting, except that the upcoming Super Brawl show is in Florida.
1: Hey.
0: And in fact, it actually took place at the Bayfront Arena in St. Petersburg. (laughs) Go us. Yeah. Tony throws to Gene, who is backstage with Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart.
7: Thank you very much, Tony Schiavone, with me. Of course, the total package, Lex Luger, still to come. The triangle match, Jimmy Hart... Before we talk about that, let's talk about what's going on here. We've got a little 2-2 situation with WCW against New Japan Pro Wrestling. You seem to be happy. What's the deal with Kevin Sullivan? Well, you know, I guess you're talking about what happened when Chris Benoit was out there and Kevin kind of interfered in the match and cost him to lose. I guess it cost America to lose. Let me tell you something. Kevin Sullivan's got a short fuse. Hey, how do you know that? What do you mean, how do I know that? Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. 10,000 comedians out of the work, and you're trying to be one. He's got a short fuse. D- Dungeon of Doom, let me tell you something, Four Horsemen. You're going to be in a lot of trouble, baby. All right, Lex Luger, let's talk about the triangle match. Sting, your good friend. the Nature your boy, Rick Flair. And, of course, an opportunity for one of you to meet the Macho Man Randy Savage for the WCW World Heavyweight title
9: that's what this great sport that's what World Championship Wrestling is all about the moment of truth has arrived year in and year out you look at the top names in professional wrestling here in WCW you look at Sting, you look at Flair you look at Luger, the total package their names are synonymous with superiority at being the very best at what they do All after one prize and that's the WCW World Heavyweight title that the macho man is wearing around his waist and everybody in World Championship Wrestling everybody out there knows that i own you macho man you are a pathetic one-armed champion i've said it before i'm telling you right now i am coming right at you because i've had you in the rack macho man many many times i've had your arm i would have tore it right out of the socket if it wasn't for my good friend sting And now, macho man, every time I face you, I beat you. That's on your mind. But first things first, the triangle match, Jimmy, I got to go this one alone, baby. You know, 10 years of friendship with Sting and I. It's me walking an aisle just this one time by myself.
7: What what, what do you mean all alone? Are you saying Jimmy Hart's not going to be in your corner? Just this one time, Jimmy. It's cool. We've, We've talked this over, Mean Gene, but just remember one thing, Lex. I'm here for a long time. Not a good time, baby. And Jimmy Hart's always managed champions because that's what keeps you around, baby. So I'm just saying, please, bring me back the gold. That's all I'm asking. I've got a list of cliches here in my pocket, Jimmy Hart, if you want to use them. Yes, Lance.
9: We're cool, Jimmy. You know that. I know that. That's what's important. I don't care about anybody else out there. There's one time that I walked that aisle alone because I had some unfinished business with the Nature Boy and Sting, best friends, or whatever we have, we're going at it. If it's you and me. May the best man win. I've said it before. We are I'm going after the Macho Man. The total package is going to reign supreme.
7: Counting down to the triangle match tonight here at Starcade Short Fuse, huh, Jimmy? Let's get back to the ring.
0: I I gotta ask, why does Gene not think that Hart should know that Sullivan has a short temper? I mean, Hart's clearly been working with the Dungeon of Doom. He comes out wearing a Kevin Sullivan face jacket. Mm. It's like, he seems clearly familiar with him, and that seems like something that would be pretty evident if you spent roughly five seconds with Kevin Sullivan. This is brought up in a promo for World War
2: III. Sullivan talks about how he's only ever had one manager in his career, and that is Jimmy hurt. Oh. Which, as far as I could tell, is actually true.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Probably. For once, the wrestling claim is accurate.
0: <laughs> surprised me, too. The Luger part of things I actually thought was pretty great. Um, Luger effectively builds up the match and his opponents while making clear that he thinks he's the best of them. He's got the bad guy arrogance, and he's willing to associate with Jimmy Hart, who's clearly something of a dishonorable person. Something has happened since last year, clearly. But he cares enough about his friend Sting that he's willing to disassociate with Hart when facing his friend. So there's a different attitude to the promo whenever he mentions Sting, I think. There's much more respect that I get in Luger's tone there. Yeah, I can see that. Especially compared to when he talks about the macho man, Randy Savage, and is just totally, I can beat you easily. I totally win over you every time. So some pretty complex character work here from Luger, and I think he pulls it off actually pretty well. He stumbles a little bit on lines here and there, but he's got a a pretty complicated promo to work through, and he does a good job with it.
3: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm
2: some reason, I had this weird thought, which is, what well, if you're in alternate reality where, for whatever reason, Jimmy Hart can't go to WCW with Hogan, mm-hmm. but they need somebody to be his manager, you know, mouthpiece, character, and they pick the next, next best thing in their minds just due to name similarity, and he's managed by Jimmy Valiant.
0: Oh my gosh. No. It's a
2: terrible reality, but no. <laughs> an interesting one. Jimmy Valiant
0: wearing flashy jacket to the megaphone. Do not threaten me with Jimmy Valiant coming back.
1: I, th- no. I thought you were going to go into like a, a dusty manager.
2: Now see that pic. I could
1: get behind.
2: <laughs> no, it's I'm just picturing Jimmy Valiant dressed like Jimmy Hart now. I don't know why. No, believe me, no one would see that less
0: than I do. But I just had that weird thought. No, like, one person wants to see that less than you do. It's me. <laughs>
1: I don't know. I think it's the uh, lack of sleep, but uh, Luger more and more reminds me of Dar, the Beastmaster, and I think that he <laughs> yes. should be doing these things with two ferrets, and, and talking about they're going to seek out the nature boy. Jimmy Hart kind of is like a ferret. Yeah.
2: He could have the ferret trap around his bicep, like he has the uh, string like people do. Oh,
1: there you go. Be flexing in
2: yeah. there, like smiling yeah. over, over his arm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, there you go.
1: I know we went a little too far on this one, but that, that you can see it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our next match is Eddie Guerrero versus Shinjiro Otani with Sonny Ono. The referee for this match is Randy Eller. Otani looks kind of bemused as he walks down the ramp, and Tony builds up his amateur wrestling history. Dusty builds up Guerrero as pound-for-pound the best wrestler in the world. Incidentally, he's earlier mentioned on the show that Bobby Heenan is pound-for-pound the best wrestling announcer, which was an odd statement. Tony sells this as a clash of each organization's new generation, and he mentions that the two have actually feuded before in Japan. I love Guerrero's jacket. Not quite as much as most Sting jackets, but it's a good one. Sparkling red and white, big and bold. Very nice.
2: That jacket gets a lot of face time. Yes. We'll we'll discuss it afterwards.
0: Yeah. It does look a little bit odd that the jacket is white and red, and his outfit is black and red, though.
2: Yeah, he usually, at this point, has two main outfits— then, sadly, he stopped wearing his Great America pants he used to wear mm-hmm. from Triple they're amazing. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so he has two versions of the outfit, and that jacket goes with the one he's not wearing, unfortunately. Yeah. I guess he didn't have a black and red jacket as cool as that, so he didn't wear it.
0: With this match determining who's going to be up three to two, Dusty calls it a pivotable situation. <laughs> The ability to pivot, yeah, 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 yeah. I guess so. Makes sense. The match itself can pivot. That's what that means. Eddie gets an Eddie chant rather than a USA chant. He does already got a really good crowd connection here. Tony talks about Otani coming to wrestling shows dressed as Jushin Liger to get noticed by promoters.
2: <laughs> so all those kids that do that as well, I've been mean, there planning the whole well, time. Well, yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> it signed so many people. With that worked every time.
0: Fast action as they trade locks and holds, both standing and on the mat. Otani pulls at Guerrero's mouth, twists his nose, and pulls his hair to keep control. Guerrero holds his own, but finally gets angry, stomping hard on Otani's face, then spinning on top of it. Otani comes back with a neat, elevated leg lock, and they trade holds and acrobatic moves, including a leaping monkey flip by Otani, before Guerrero head-scissors him, and Otani rolls out in frustration. Back in Guerrero keeps control and hits a diving flip from the apron to the ring, and Heenan points out Guerrero has great acceleration on his moves. I agree. There's a sense of quick motion how he does his dives in particular, mm-hmm. it makes him look faster and more powerful. Guerrero gets a Boston crab into a single leg, but Atani gets the ropes. Guerrero switches to strength and gets two counts off a huge power bomb and an amazing brainbuster.
2: Oh yeah, they're good.
0: Yeah, I was. Wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Big clothesline to Atani, and Dusty says that, rang his belly, then clarifies he meant bell, not another word for stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Atani dodges a corner clothesline and hits a magnificent springboard dropkick. Absolutely beautiful. Guerrero rolls out, and Atani follows with an equally beautiful springboard splash. Back in, Atani keeps control, but Heenan, via cheering, And Dusty, note that he doesn't take the chances that he gets to go for the pin. (laughs) Line of the night here, I think. Heenan asks Dusty, if he's Guerrero, what is he thinking right now? Dusty, quick as a whip, says, I'm thinking I lost a lot of weight, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Tony collapses into helpless laughter, as did I.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I really wish they would do the, the back-and-forth
0: cuts of the announcers. Oh, yeah, I would have loved Just to see that. their faces on that. I bet Tony was doubled over. Yeah. Guerrero and Otani trade suplexes for two each, and Atani hits an awesome springboard spinning wheel kick, but pauses to taunt the crowd before going up top, and Guerrero gets a top rope hurricanrana for two and a Crucivex powerbomb for a two and three quarters. Atani gets a leg lock. Guerrero makes the ropes, but Atani holds on until four and a half. Heenan says Atani might not understand the count, but then kind of saves it by saying that the ref should give Atani a grace period. Like a count of thirty or thirty five. <laughs> yeah. I think the exaggeration kind of brings it back around. Right.
2: And I'd be more bothered by that if the story wasn't that he's clearly in favor of New Japan.
0: Yeah,
4: yeah. It's
2: clear that he's trying to turn that into a way that he's Blatantly help want them to get the advantage. Yeah. It walks that line pretty well.
0: They spill outside, and Guerrero hits a very safe slam on the concrete, then his own twisting springboard splash. Back on the apron, Guerrero tries to suplex Atani out, but Atani counters with his own into the ring. So wouldn't Guerrero have gotten DQ'd if he succeeded at that? I mean, he's, he's suplexing him from inside of the ring out.
2: Maybe if he had also fallen on the floor, that would count, and it'd be okay?
0: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Another beautiful springboard dropkick from Atani to the back of Guerrero's head.
2: Ow. Yeah, there's no way to take that.
0: Atani, by the way, appears to have busted his nose and lip somewhere. I'm not sure when that happened, actually. I think it's from the
2: dive. I think he did an impact there.
0: Atani tries a full Nelson, but Guerrero counters with a Frankensteiner. But Atani rolls through for two only for Guerrero to roll it back over for two, only for Itani to roll it over again for a three count and the win. Wow, what a finish. <laughs> that put New Japan up three to two. One more win, and they take the World Cup. Itani smugly poses for the crowd as Guerrero despairs in the corner. Hedon says they've got to take their hat off to Itani for that win, and Tony reluctantly agrees. Thoughts on that match?
2: So it's so an interesting one for me for a lot of reasons. I started watching wrestling when Eddie Guru is like at his peak as far as notoriety in America. Mm-hmm. He's come to WBF, he's, you know, all this stuff happens. So I know him very well. I watched watch him from 2000 up until, unfortunately, he died. Atani, I've never seen before uh, at all, like, in any show. Because my knowledge of New Japan is separate from my viewership of New Japan. I know more of them by reading than actually watching. So... I see Atani walk out. Other than his um, weird sort of um, Top Gun jacket, mm-hmm. he has like this blank expression that cannot read whatsoever. Between that and the fact that he's wearing black boots, black knee pads, and you know plain black trunks, which is normally what young lions, the people that are training in New Japan, wear because they haven't earned to sort of earn their character yet.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's just the way it's explained, anyways. I just assumed he'd be really boring. Not necessarily he would be, wouldn't be a performer, but just, like, he'd have no character. would be just mm-hmm. a clinical wrestling guy with nothing. Thankfully, he really proved me wrong. Yeah. This nice bit where he's heelish, like the nose-grabbing stuff, talking to the crowd. Uh, he just really enjoys playing to this audience. It really surprised me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's an Negrero match with a fairly equal opponent, so there's no question it's, everything has worked beautifully there's really not like a moment that stands out as being really awkward or like a mistiming thing we've had in the previous matches where they'd be really good, but maybe this one thing. It's hard to really nitpick this match quality-wise. Mm-hmm. So there's a point where Eddie gets a two count, and the ref... I remember, funny, because I'm watching this with you the first time, I'm saying that the ref is, is slow on that one, which is immediately parroted by, I believe, Tony, right? I think
0: Tony says it at one point, yeah. That might have been a slow count. There's one slow count, yeah.
2: Flash forward, the end of the match, where that last three count feels a little fast to me. Mm -hmm. So it's not absolutely not their fault they worked the match perfectly, but there's that little bit where I kind of wish there'd been some sort of story where, like, the ref gives a knowing look to Ono or he smiles or something, try and make it like he fast counted when he needed to and slow counted when it looked really worrisome. I think in re- reality, it's just he knows that first one is not the three count, and he's worried about actually hitting hitting three. And then when he does the finish, he's just really excited and does it fast. Yeah. So the fact that I'm nitpicking the ref count in a match should tell you something.
0: Yeah. And to be fair to him on that final one, especially, he's got to do counts rapidly in a row for multiple no, hitting yeah, yeah. things. So I accept that it's hard to maintain your pace, especially in that yeah. situation. But there's a noticeable
2: spike between yeah. the second to last. Count and the last count.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wish there was a story to that. What a match. <laughs> no, no, it was amazing. Yeah. I, I, don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I may have seen it, yes. Oh, good. No, I was really surprised by both of them. Um, I, You know, I am somewhat familiar with Eddie Guerrero, but, uh, you know, I haven't seen him at this stage in his career.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: There's some very quick movements by both sides, and I really did like Utani's, uh heelist nature yeah You yeah, know, he was uh he was doing a good job of being arrogant and mm-hmm. and playing it up whatever the springboard vertebral dislocator or whatever you want to call it <laughs> was pretty amazing yeah and i didn't think there would be any part of the match that would be better than that because i do like the posing at the end and you know he's like clearly giving uh eddie uh some time to recover <laughs> catch his breath because it's kind of hard to sell uh, that sort of thing. Some of it's probably real. Oh, yeah. The last, I know it was only like five seconds, but it felt like 30 because it seemed like it. everything slowed down for me. I was like, oh, man, you, you countered that and countered that and countered that. I yeah, just seen the complexity of those moves. Mm-hmm. It was all quick. It was all smooth. It was unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I really, really liked the match because of that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I feel like the ending to this one is what they were going for with the Alex Wright one. Mm -hmm. It's a shock ending, but because of the ability involved. But with the Alex Wright one, it doesn't come off quite like that. It just comes off as a little bit of a downbeat after all the, the really big moves. Where with this one, they managed to do the shock ending as a big spot.
2: Right, because in that match, Kanemoto doesn't, like, counter a move and right. like, pin him. Yeah. it just it's a, weak, a fairly standard move and then rolls over and pin him.
0: Yeah, with this, it's it's like, oh my gosh, counter, counter, counter. Oh, it really
1: literally comes out of nowhere in this amazing fashion. Mm-hmm, for sure. I, and I do like how the final position looks like Otani is just hanging out. <laughs> he's just, like, whatever. Just, like, he's sitting up. <laughs> it's like oh we're done with this. But it it was amazing. I, I became a fan of both of them.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Totally.
0: Like you guys, I I think this was brilliant. Guerrero and Atani were both at the top of their game here, combined some exceptional mat wrestling with hard hitting power moves and some amazing high flying acrobatics to put together a terrific spectacle. Those springboard moves in particular I loved. Those were incredible. Atani in particular honestly just seems so confident every time he jumps up on the on the rope to go for a springboard it's like there's no doubt there's no shakiness there's no needing to get his aim in or at something like that it just it's nice smooth motion that looks perfectly springboard it's just great Guerrero's power always surprises me he's a very agile guy but he can just whip a guy up for a powerbomb or a brain buster in just a heartbeat. Very hot match, fast pace, some great intensity. And Atani in particular, as you guys were pointing out, was really good about interacting with the crowd. He made that part of the match storyline sometimes because he like wants to show them up so badly that he'll pause and taunt them or something and make a mistake that gives Guerrero time to recover. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciated that about him.
1: And I like that he looks so... <laughs> Unassuming and like not like intimidating in any way, and then like just does crazy stuff. (laughs) It's a study in contrast
0: that he looks like this generic or not intimidating wrestler, and then what he can pull off is incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ending is picture perfect and had me on the edge of my seat. Really smoothly done and an impressive spot to end a match that felt hard fought from beginning to end.
2: The thing with Eddie Guerrero. Very early on in the match, this happens in most of his matches, the shoulder strap on, I want to say, the left side moves around. So just, his one nipple is exposed. So, <laughs> weird thing to notice, but yeah. it stays that way for the entire match.
0: I was thinking of that. What, what's what's that one movie that we watched? Uh, the Ator of the Fighting mm-hmm. Eagle, I think, where he has yes. the, has the like, chest plate thing that never stays positioned properly. Right, right. Yeah.
2: yeah, I would gladly watch this match again, but I will constantly notice that, <laughs> no matter how much I try to focus on anything else.
4: Oh, that's I can't funny.
2: help it. In March, WCW would finally go, you know, we should have a cruiserweight division so Then we have all these people around. we got Pillman, we've got Benoit, Malenko. Let's finally do that. So they decided to hold a tournament, the finale which takes place in, of course, New Japan mm-hmm. for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Does that make <laughs> sense? And is won by Otani, okay. Who in fact beats Chris Benoit in the finals, which sounds like a really good match. Yeah, yeah. Let's see that now. As for Eddie, he would compete at the best of the Super Junior's tournament. That tournament seems really stacked with people. Just the people I know, so it's not counting Japanese wrestlers I'm familiar with. It has D. Malenko, Jushin Liger, Chris Benoit, Shinjiro Otani, and Kanemoto. Wow, it's a lot in one tournament. Okay. No, you have no excuse to cover that, but I kind of want to see. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we go backstage and Gene Nokerlund intros WCW World Heavyweight Champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage, who is wearing a jacket and hat of every possible color.
7: All right, let's now go to Gene Nokerlund as New Japan leads 3 3-2, yes. I, that's what I was going to say. Again, gentlemen, I repeat, New Japan 3, WCW 2, Macho Man Randy Savage, it's all going to be up to you. If it gets beyond you, then it's going to be up to Sting here at Starcade 95 for the World Cup of Wrestling in one of the most extraordinary international events I have ever been part of. Randy Savage, you've got a lot to think about. Tenzon, perhaps now, in the international competition. And then after that, the triangle match. Forget the about the defense. triangle match.
10: One thing at a time. The pressure's on me, and then hopefully the pressure's on Sting. To infinity and beyond. Three to two, our back's against the door. You know what? I like being the underdog. I've been the underdog all my life, but that's okay. That's cool. And the Stinger, he's cool too. And you know what? i got to admit something. Lex Luger, he put that guy in the torture rack. You know, it's a team-type situation. And then it reverses itself to infinity and beyond. Breaking on through to the other side. I like that. I got chills up and down my spine. I'm wrapped into the moment. This is a moment in time, and I'm going to take advantage of it. Tens on. You can't understand what I'm saying, but I'm
4: coming to get you. Yeah.
7: I just got off the telephone just moments ago with the suspended Hulk Hogan. What did he He, say? He wanted to know what frame of mind you were in. Tell him I'm in the zone. He knows what the zone's all about.
10: That's what makes us different. That's what makes Sting different. That's what makes Lex Luger different. And difference is that it's 3-2, to two and I'm going in there to even the score. Stinger,
7: be there for the USA, red, white, and blue. Yeah, I'm out of here. I can't see another word. Thank one. you very much, uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage is going into his matchup oh, with Tenzan yeah. as uh, New Japan leads 3-2. to two. Right now, let's get you back up to the ring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Good promo overall, I think. Macho focuses us nicely on the contrast between the team storyline of the World Cup and the open competition between some of the same people for the triangle and world title matches. It's a neat contrast, and I'm glad it got such a highlight here. I love how mobile Savage is during his promos, too. Uh, He's just, like, constantly just moving around. Gene has to follow him with the microphone. (laughs) You can definitely tell what year it is from his repeated To Infinity and Beyond lines. Toy Story came out in November 1995. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but I got a great mental image of Savage watching that in the theater with full Macho Man get up and carrying the big
1: gold belt, (laughs) which would have been great. I was hoping he would like say Sting's got a friend in me or something like that. Uh, oh yes.
0: <laughs> oh, that've would have been great.
1: <laughs> but, and he was talking about the dog. I thought he was going to talk about Slinky dog. It was just oh, yeah. <laughs> never <laughs> happened.
2: Who is who in this scenario? Is Slinky dog? Is that
0: is that Luger? I I guess. Yeah, maybe.
1: I, I don't I don't we don't have time
2: for a full who's um who in Toy Story as WCW, Yeah, but Yeah.
1: Is the announcer Potato Head? Oh, Mean Gene. Yeah.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, hey, I, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that, sure. way, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that works.
1: <laughs> and Macho
0: is another person who doesn't realize that this is WCW versus New Japan, not the USA versus Japan. But, you know, this show just can't keep that straight anyway.
2: <laughs> it's amazing for as good a promo as Savage is. It's a shame he can't control the volume of his voice. It just it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a real medical condition that does the people have. Thank you, Will Ferrell. Peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys.
4: Yeah.
0: Like that dude from um the guy from Harlem.
2: Yes, very <laughs> much so.
1: It was delightful, enjoyable. I'd never expected him to say it to infinity infinity and beyond, <laughs> let alone twice.
2: Would have been any better if Sting was back with him and like kept pointing at him, yelling that you are a toy? Would that <laughs> have helped? No. You are a toy, Randy Savage. <laughs>
1: No, I, I, I do like the interaction and in, in when he uh, talks about other people that are out there, but mm-hmm. it, it's all about Randy, and it needs to be a Randy, so it's good. Yeah. I can't really... I know that he had some voice and modulation issues, but... <laughs> <laughs> it affects dozens of
2: people every year, it's true.
1: <laughs> um, But I don't know, he has a certain cadence to the way he says things, or like rhythm. That's probably mm-hmm. a better word. Oh, yeah. I just enjoy them.
2: My dad, as a kid, grew up in Downers Grove, Illinois. It's a suburb just outside Chicago. So if you're Downers Grove, you say you're from Chicago. It's that close. In like, fact, he was a kid. He played Little League. On his team was a young boy named Randy and a young boy named Lanny, whose father, a big, sweaty, hairy man wearing like sweatpants and clearly wearing a wrestling singlet, having just come, probably come from a match, would be seated in, seated in the audience. See, my dad, in fact, did play Little League Baseball with Randy Savage. <laughs> that's awesome. Which is amazing.
1: <laughs> that's cool.
2: Angelo Poffo is just sitting next to the crowd of, you know, what we would now call soccer moms, basically. But my dad didn't know who Angelo Poffo was at the time, because he was not watching wrestling. He's a kid yeah. at that point. But he remembers seeing that person there. Probably at the time thinking, who is this weird person that's in the audience <laughs> all the time? And then later make the next oh, that's Angelo and his because his sons are on team I'm playing.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's that's kind of awesome, man.
2: Yeah. Very cool. I need to see if he has any pictures from then. He, I hope he does. I haven't actually that asked him about that.
4: That would be If great. I can
2: find them, I will definitely share them.
4: Yeah.
2: I love that. <laughs> John, did you notice anything in the background during the first few interviews? Mm-mm. Oh, so you didn't notice Eddie Guerrero's jacket um, hanging nicely on a rack behind Sting and Luger? <laughs> yeah. No. And Ono?
1: I didn't pay attention to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: If you go back and watch it, it is in frame, center frame in the background. It's hanging on its hook, like the hanging, just waiting back there. Which means Porti Guerrero was told the guy to do an interview, so he put his jacket on, and then didn't need it for, th- like, what, three more matches? Yeah. So he just left it back there. At some point, before his match, he ran back, grabbed it, put it on, so it's gone by the next promo. Yeah. But it's just hanging
0: on the background, just going,
2: hey, I'm back here.
0: Yeah. That's a sparkly red and white jacket. Yeah. Good
1: placement. Yeah.
0: I would have liked it if one of the other wrestlers had tried it on when Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sting just goes over and is like, oh, that's a sparkly jacket. That must be mine. (laughs) They all wore the jacket during the promo. That would have been a good move. (laughs) Yeah. So our next match is Randy Savage versus Hiroyoshi Tenzan with Sonny Ono. Referee for this match is Nick Patrick. Tenzan has a pretty cool entrance outfit with a red robe and some cool horned headgear. It looks pretty intimidating. Interestingly, his robe has his actual name, Yamamoto, rather than his wrestling name, Tenzan. That's true. Savage is extremely colorful. <laughs> His entrance theme is a rock version of Pomp and Circumstance, one mm-hmm. of my least favorite pieces to play in high school band. We had to play that for an eternity at every graduation ceremony, and the trombone part is so incredibly boring. <laughs> Would it have been better if someone was playing electric guitar with you, at least? you go to that? I, honestly,
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: They finally fixed the problem for you, yeah. Uh, not, I
1: used not, to bop it and, and, and I get dirty looks from the conductor
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> you had to you had to do something to to make that part entertaining, right i mean it's just thank you repeat that for a he- for you know about an hour, and you've got the experience of playing trombone for Pump and circumstance. The crowd goes wild for Savage. Savage takes off his coat to reveal a bandaged left arm. Heenan says that the damage Tenzon inflicts on Savage here could make it more likely that Savage will lose the title later tonight. Aside from a couple initial pushes on lockups, Savage gets no offense for the early portion of the match, taking a beating from Tenzon with big hard strikes, headbutts, and clotheslines, and, a bit perplexingly, eye rakes. Savage finally gets a kick and some punches, but Tenzon shrugs them off and headbutts him down, then grabs a nerve hold. Savage twists Tenzon's nose, but Tenzon hits a spinning wheel kick and goes back to the beatdown. Savage rolls out, and Tenzon kicks his ass on the floor too, and runs him into the ring post and barricade. Consistency! Yeah. <laughs> back in, Tenzon gets an elevated fireman's carry, then a falling headbutt from the top rope. Tenzan tries a moonsault, but Savage finally dodges and clotheslines Tenzan through the ropes to the apron. They fight over a suplex, and Savage gets Tenzan up, but drops him gut first on the top rope. I'm not clear on if that was a botch, but it looked painful. Savage goes up top and lands the big elbow drop with his good arm for the three count and the win to tie it up 3-3, three to three, leaving the fate of the World Cup to Sting versus Kintsuki Sasaki. Thoughts on this match?
2: Okay, so before I get to the match, I have to point out one big issue I have with WCW as far as the whole World Cup thing goes. So first off, they don't show the World Cup at the beginning of the tournament. Like it's not just like sitting in the entryway, people don't like walk by and like point at it. How they could have put it next to the announce table at some point and yeah. shown it. This is for all intents and purposes could be the final match of this mm. tournament. And the cup is nowhere to be seen. Right.
1: The spray paint's uh, still drying. Mm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so there's two possible explanations. One is that WCW is so sure Randy Savage, their world champion, will win. They're not going to bother bringing the cup out because it's this is locked up. We don't need to have that because there's no reason to do a ceremony. The other option is, of course, that they know Randy Savage will win because this is pre-planned. Yeah. And so we don't need to have the cup out there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So they're kind of giving things away by in the cup out there for me. A little bit.
1: And putting Sting at the end. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) Putting that kind of big thing aside, I like the match a lot for what it is. It's a fairly short match, which basically is let's see what Tenzan can do. Mm -hmm. All his moves look nice. There's a nice crispness and sharpness to his strikes and his moves. He's not going to ever be... Somebody you could swap out for Otani with the gracefulness of his moves or just how seamless, like his wrestling is. But what he does is look intimidating with that hair. He has a nice, lovely mullet with some blonde and it's a little red, some other color in there as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, a little bit. Yeah. some
2: other color, like, um, highlighting his, uh, Tennessee waterfall. <laughs> I just really like his, his look. It's probably also the fact that, as I mentioned, couple of shows back with vader one of the big rites of passage japan is going to ribera steakhouse mm-hmm. which it is still today by the way so i see guy wearing those super bright shorts which seem to be inverse of the say by the bell shorts steve austin wore by the way <laughs> and i see the big ribera horns on that now i also see him come out wearing horns so i know it's not why it's there but <laughs> yeah i can't help my connection. Yeah. It definitely is a very one-sided match for the most part. The finish is a little wonky. I think the idea is that Randy Savage is supposed to suplex him in, and that's a position for the elbow drop. Yeah. And two Savage cries as you mentioned. Savage makes sure to come down with his good elbow and not his bad elbow. Yes,
0: yes, that's nice.
2: Which is a mix of kayfabe and probably his elbowism actually hurt to a certain degree, so it's smart for the story and smart for himself. So they tried to sell in... The commentary that his injured arm gives out, and he makes the best of it by dropping on the ropes. Yeah, Tenzin gamely rolls in the position the other way. And Savage never really has a problem with the distance on his jump, so he makes it work fine. It's just a rare case where I think it's definitely a botch, but the way it plays out is covered well by commentary.
0: But the commentary is good at covering it up, and the two wrestlers are professional enough that they recover really fast.
2: But yeah, it's definitely a bit lopsided as far as the the flow of the match. Sawa teaches two big moves and then Wits a win. There is a brief but they mention how good Tenzin's moonsault is. And it is nice. Mm-hmm. And they say he may have the best moonsault in all of New Japan. Which feels like a weird dig at Muda, who is not on this show. Yeah, yeah. Very famous for his moonsaults. And current the IWGP world
0: champion, by the way. (laughs) And kind of a dig out. Wasn't it uh, Kanemoto that did it really in the night?
1: Yeah.
2: I do think it was a little better, but yes. So I agree in that regard.
1: Oh, man. What happened to the Randy Savage that did that promo? (laughs) (laughs) He wore himself out. I've never seen that man get kicked around so bad. (laughs) land, air, and sea, or whatever, you know, any part of the map, Tenzin was showing him how to get there, you know, forcefully. Yes,
0: pretty much. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it builds Randy up for finish and kind of sets the groundwork for, you know, him being hurt and everything. It was just fun to watch Tenzin masterfully just push him around. And Randy's doing his best uh, pinata impression with that fringe. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm just waiting for him to burst open, and a bunch of confetti <laughs> comes out.
2: Well... You know if he's a, if he's a pinata, what comes out? Slim Jim's. Well, yes, obviously. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's all that comes out.
1: Snap into it. Tenzin looks so defeated at the very end, and, and surprised, and so was I. Not that I was expecting Savage to lose, given the way they set up everything. But it was such a big, big leap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at the end, because <laughs> he went from being like this unstoppable force to I'm too tired. <laughs> To lift my leg.
2: The elbow was just that effective.
1: <laughs> yeah. He didn't even land the elbow. He, like, ribs flashed him. I, I mean, obviously, that's kind
0: of, I think, how you're supposed to perform yeah. a move like that. If you actually hit the elbow on someone's chest at a high velocity from coming from the top rope, you would probably kill them. But or hurt, at least hurt them. They normally do a better job of picking the camera angle. Mm-hmm. Where in this one, yes, you get a clear shot of Savage clearly going completely over Tenzon. And landing with his elbow on the opposite side of his body, so it's his ribs that land on <laughs> Tenzon, really. If they filmed it from the side or something instead, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have caught
1: it. I wouldn't even have caught it if they um, didn't do it in slow motion at the very end. And especially if you're attending and you're 30 feet away, it's, okay, you landed on them. Yeah, you won't notice there, so. Yeah. But... It was a good match. I don't know what, what happened to the energy. Randy, you know, he never recovered from his promo until the very end. Uh
8: I
0: can't call this a good match on my part. Why not? It's interesting, but the one-sidedness just really, really got to me with this one. Tenzon just beats the heck out of Savage for almost the entire match. And yeah, his strikes do look vicious, but for me, it got monotonous really fast. The ending just feels so out of nowhere, too. It's just Savage suddenly hits, like, three moves, one of which is a botch, and wins. I mean, it's, it's a botch that they cover, but... It's a botch with impact, at least. Yeah, but he gets three moves, and know, then yeah. just wins. And Tenzan's supposed to be this, like, hard guy that is really tough and brutal and everything. And I it doesn't even bother me that Savage suddenly wins with the elbow drop. It more bothers me that Savage manages to... On just like two additional moves, stun Tenzon enough that he can get the elbow drop. Where I was thinking we were maybe in for a Sting Vader kind of situation where it's like Savage starts a comeback, you know, after tiring Tenzon out by getting punched in the face repeatedly. Could be rope a dope strategy, yeah. But it doesn't feel like that. You don't get to that point with it. So I just, I didn't, did not really like this one. Tenzon does have a really nice moonsault, like we were discussing. His spinning wheel kick is also quite nice. It's a surprise, yeah. Savage's top rope elbow is, of course, wonderful. Just really beautiful. There just wasn't a lot to this to me, and it felt kind of disappointing. I did appreciate that it was something different, but it was so one-sided that it felt like it just kind of should have ended with Tenzon winning, but they can't have him win, because then you don't get a Sting match, and that would be horrible. So, <laughs> so there was
2: no pomp in all circumstance.
0: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there's a New Japan show,
2: I believe it's around March, where there's a rematch between the two, so maybe you will watch that and see if that strikes
0: your fancy a little more. Yeah, I mean, it may be a factor of injuries or time constraints or things yeah. like that, so I'd, I'd be interested in seeing another attempt. We cut back to the announcers, and Tony tries to build up the upcoming Sting match, as Heenan appears to not be paying attention. <laughs> Tony taps him on the shoulder, and Heenan goes into a full-on slapstick comedy routine, dropping his notes, knocking over his chair, trying to gather things up in a huge mess, and knocking his own headset off.
2: Yeah, he goes full vaudeville.
0: Yeah, Tony and Dusty flat out lose it and break down laughing, and Tony just kind of manages to fight off the laughter long enough to throw to Gene. Gene is clearly having a good laugh as well as they cut to him, but he gets himself under control and shills the hotline. one nine hundred nine o nine ninety nine hundred. 909 9900 Gene says the score is three all and brings in short-haired Ric Flair in a pink Ric Flair's Gold Gym shirt.
2: <laughs> Gotta plug that gym.
0: The score is three
7: all. This international competition for the World Cup of Wrestling is everything we have anticipated the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, has slyly been sitting back and watching all of this. Ric Flair, come on in. Happy New Year to you. is eleven time former WCW World Heavyweight champ. This crowd out there in Nashville, in the arena, is hanging from the rafters in anticipation of the final match of the international competition, then out of the triangle match.
11: Great conception. Japan versus the USA. A first in WCW brought it to this world of professional wrestling. But tonight... Let's face it, we're talking about the most coveted trophy in all sports. The one and only world's heavyweight championship belt. And tonight at the more Styles, Woo! And profiles! Sting! You and Luger have to remember to be the man! Think about it like this: you've gotta beat the man! You both <laughs> will a wrestle! The nature boy will be fresh, he'll be invigorated, and he will know beyond a shadow of a out that right here in Nashville, woo, with the bright lights, Dolly Parton to my left, ha some other lovely lady to my right, I will win the world's heavyweight championship, styling, woo, and profiling.
7: Thank you, Nature Boy Ric Flair, ladies and gentlemen. Still to come, the triangle match, the Nature Boy Sting and Lex Luger, the winner of that one, will be taking on the Macho Man Randy Savage for the WCW World Heavyweight title. 3-3 as we go to the ring.
0: (laughs) I love him just repeatedly wooing as
2: Gene tries to throw to the next match. (laughs) It really reminded me of the bit from uh, Futurama where Bender becomes a human he dies from the overexcess of like a week of binge drinking, eating, and everything. He's a, like literally a giant round ball of a person, and they re- they realize that he died before the big party. Like, but he said "woo," like, I don't know, this air escaping from his fat. <laughs> and as they're rolling him out, you hear "woo" as he's going by. That's all I could think of when he does that now. <laughs> woo.
0: Short but good promo from Flair, who effectively talks up the triangle match and the advantage that he has. Luger and Sting fought in the World Cup, or Sting will fight in the World Cup now, but Flair hasn't. So in the triangle match, he'll be fresh, Well, they'll have to deal with injuries. Yeah, (laughs) fresh. (laughs) Well, they'll have to deal with injuries and expended energy. Nice angle, and he sets it up well here. And I think it's our first stylin' and profilin', Mm -hmm. and our first actually audible to be the man, you've got to beat the man. TM. Yeah. Flair did say that at Starrcade eighty nine, but it was drowned out mostly by the end credits music. Yes.
2: <laughs> he should have brought up the, the war the gym war, because obviously we know Luger and Singh on, co own one.
0: Main Event Fitness,
2: I think it's called. Main Event Fitness. Yep. In Atlanta GA. Atlanta. <laughs> Classic Flair excess in a nice tiny package. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> That's just very short but very uh Packed.
2: Yes. <laughs> it's like you only have a little soda left in the can, but it's joke cola. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it was short, ish <laughs> and sweet. I, I did find it funny that he didn't know who was going to be standing to his side. He's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> whoever else. Uh, yeah, it's like he he clearly
0: has the start of a thought there. Like, oh, I got, I can, I can say Dolly Parton for this side, that he starts it clearly thinking i'll think of another lady's name by the time i reach the second sentence and and just doesn't mm. <laughs> just like whatever <laughs> just go and on gene,
2: and yeah and gene for his part doesn't go oh you mean like so-and-so
1: no yeah he no
2: one there he's like no nope. <laughs> nope. you're on your own buddy yeah
1: he looks weird with his haircut too
0: it always looks a little weird to me with the short hair i i, I definitely prefer the long hair rick flair yes. look it's
2: funny too because the whole part of that whole thing of him leaving was Jim Hurd wanted him to cut his hair, make yes. kind of a character, and yada yada. He's now back in WSW after all that folded with short hair. Yes. <laughs> Maybe as a, as a slap in the face of
1: Jim Hurd. Yeah. He went through a crisis and shaved his head, and that's what grew back. <laughs> there you go. Our next match, and the
0: final match of the World Cup of Wrestling, is Sting versus Kensuke Sasaki with Sonny Ono. Referee for this match is Randy Eller. Ono shows off Kensuke Sasaki's US heavyweight title, which he won from Sting. Sasaki has a truly badass leather jacket with flame patterns. The sleeve bears the words, The God of Fire, and on the back there's an intimidating figure with blue skin bearing a sword and surrounded by flames. I tried to see. There's a a word underneath it, but I couldn't get a really good clear shot of the whole thing to try and look up what the figure is supposed to be. Anyway, it's an amazing jacket. We get a shot of the World Cup, now sitting in the middle of the entrance ramp. Yeah, as you pointed out earlier, Al, it's really odd that it wasn't their last match, too, since they're clearly putting it out there now to highlight that, oh, this could be the last, well, this is the last match, but the previous match... Could have been the last match of the competition if Savage had lost.
2: Yes. At least unlike the ring
0: they gave to Sting, we know it exists at the time <laughs> yes, of the That's true. At least they are <laughs> handing out the World Cup this year rather than yes. next Stargate. Slight improvement. Sting comes out with a U.S. flag and a super glittery pink and green-yellow jacket and black, orange, and yellow face paint. Again, we're kind of mixing messages here. I think he either either should have left the flag out to keep it WCW only, or just gone whole hog with it and worn red, white, and blue jacket and face paint.
2: Which he's done before.
0: Yeah. Everyone else is kind of calling this USA versus Japan, so he might as well have jumped on the bandwagon.
2: He could have a half, like a half and half flag where it's WCW and then the American
0: flag. Well, that would have gone over like a lead balloon.
2: <laughs> I mean, they would have tried it.
0: Yeah. It's also kind of weird to me that his face paint and jacket don't match. They don't always, but he's normally a little bit better at color coordination, mm-hmm. and they kind of clash in this case. Sasaki gets the better of an initial brawl, but Sting fights back and hits an early Stinger splash. Sasaki counters a second try into a one-handed bulldog. The crowd chants for Sting, and Sasaki mocks Sting with his own kind of sad attempt at a Stinger call.
2: Yeah, if- could, <laughs> those of being told in the crowd would really just kind of cry for help. When
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Did it sound like the mouse, John? Oh,
1: no. No? <laughs> not quite squeaky enough? She sounds more like a lamb now. It's weird. When she's really distressed, she sounds like a lamb. Aw. It's not, it's not the awe-inspiring. It's, it's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you just want to help.
0: Sasaki lands clotheslines, but Sting dodges one and hits his high-leaping dropkick and clothesline to take Sasaki out of the ring. He didn't insist that his constant cheerleading for Sasaki, is just that he's a broadcast journalist with an objective viewpoint. <laughs> his objective
2: is that he wants New Japan to win. Yeah, there you
0: go. That's an objective. Sasaki floats over a suplex back in, and hits a mighty power slam and brainbuster. He poses for the crowd, but they boo. So he goes up on the ropes and tries again, and gets booed even more. <laughs> the crowd chants for Sting, then for the USA, as Sasaki uses locks and strikes, and then applies the Scorpion Death Lock to Sting. Sting struggles, but finally powers out of the hold to big cheers. Sasaki gets a leg takedown, but a second attempt earns him an enziguri from Sting, but Sasaki recovers faster. Sasaki tries a running slam, but Sting slips free, and hits a clothesline, kick, and one-handed bulldog, then gets the Scorpion Deathlock. Sasaki drags himself towards the ropes, but Sting pulls him back to the middle of the ring and sits down, and Sasaki gives up to give Sting the win and WCW the World Cup, at a final score of four to three. WCW's other competitors come running out, all but Macho and Benoit wearing shirts with the US and Japanese flags on them. Macho wears his own Macho Man shirt, and Benoit wears an awesome Four Horsemen shirt that I would love to own. I keep looking. Yeah, <laughs> a chant of USA goes up. Seriously, nobody gets that WCW is not Team USA, do they? It it has World in its name, people. Yeah. <sighs> Thoughts on this match?
2: I'm I'm a little mixed on this match overall. It's one of the ones where the strong points are pretty high. Is just I have other aspects to think about so sting is in classic form here he's got his energy he's got his great drop kick like he jump is like higher than the top rope right yes
0: he clears the top rope easily yeah. from a standing jump
2: yeah it's amazing Sasaki <laughs> does have nice bits of character where he just sort of mocking the crowd but like during the actual wrestling he doesn't have that It's basically like he was told he got Get mad at the crowd. So he does that, but it's clearly separate from his wrestling. So there's a little disconnect for me there. It's not like Atami where it's mixed in with his performance. It's sort of like he's wrestling and then it's like, oh, right. Yeah. I'm not like you guys. It's done well, but it's, it feels separate to me. Hmm. The problem for me is that the match is kind of short. Yeah. The whole part where Suzaki gets him over the shoulders. And it seems like he's going to start the next sequence where they fight out of the corner. But instead he changes his mind, I guess, and tries to do the that stampede move out of the corner. But then gets countered into the finish. It mm-hmm. feels like they cut a few minutes out of the match and it just goes right from that point to the end.
1: Sting always has a good performance. It's nice to see him get pushed around too. Not not mm-hmm. like not like Randy Savage was, you know, pushed around. But some of those clotheslines were just ridiculous. Uh, especially, like, they do, like, three or four in a row and instinct just, you know, immediately pops back up and then, you know, drop kicks. You can definitely see during this match where, where the tide's turning. There's not, like, any ambiguity. You know, it's not like they just get a lucky move. No, it's, like, always sets of three or four mm-hmm. things as they battle back and forth. It makes it interesting. I didn't like the ring outs, kind of slowed up the action, you know, but overall, a decent match.
0: Yeah, for me, fun match, but like you were saying, Al, very short. Mm. I think they make the best of it, but they don't get enough time to really tell a complete story. That said, they do a good job of working in what they can. I like that Sasaki used Sting's own moves against him. It's not just the... Scorpion Deathlock, but he actually also uses the one-handed bulldog in almost exactly the same way Sting does. Which was nice. And of course he mocks the Stinger call, though he could have done a better job with that.
1: Mm -hmm. I like the commentary when they use this deathlock on him. He's like if anyone knows how to get out, it's gonna be Sting. So
0: Right, exactly. They do a good job of, of setting that up. For as short a match as this is, they do a really good job of getting across the story they're trying to tell. Yeah, The match felt pretty heated, and I got a sense of the history between the two. Sasaki gets across a feeling of confidence. He's beaten Sting before, and he can do it again. Sting feels like he's taking this very really seriously. He's aware that he has to prove he can really beat Sasaki after a previous failure. So he tries to put Sasaki away really fast, starting with the Stinger splash, but that makes him make mistakes. But even though he's on defense of a lot of the match, it never feels one-sided like the Savage match did. It just feels like this is a good storyline idea that doesn't get quite fully developed because they have to cram everything into the little window of time they have rather than getting to let things play out fully. Mm-hmm. It was still fun, but I'd like to see this storyline done with more time.
1: You okay with the ending as a su- submission?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I I loved that ending, actually. I loved uh, Sting dragging them to the center. <laughs> they They really fight for it. That's, again, a point where this match really got across the storyline they were going for of Sting as the master of the Scorpion Deathlock, where Sasaki is trying to do it, but isn't as good at it. Mm-hmm. With Sting's able to power out of Sasaki's, but and Sasaki tries a different counter because he can't manage to power out. But Sting is wise to that, pulls him back from it, and locks it in even harder. Mm-hmm. It yeah. really looked definitive. So I, l- I liked that.
2: So, as you mentioned briefly at the beginning, there's a dark match after this show featuring Kazuki Sasaki. Yes. From my understanding, Sasaki, in the lead up to this show, made it pretty clear to WCW that he was not interested in wrestling on, say, Nitro and other shows, being a regular champion defending the U.S. title. He made it clear he wanted to do it in Japan, and he was less interested in their shows. They were not happy with that, but they found a workaround. Is match after this is Finn, Finn, the title against the one man gang? Woman Gang gets the pinfall, and the ref counts it. But then the ref is told that the foot is on the rope, whereas the foot is outside to some degree. So the match is then restarted, and Suzaki beats Woman Gang successfully defending his title and leaves. WWE then decides when they want to air this match that that ending part where the match is reversed and restarted didn't happen. It's just chopped off. So now Woman Gang has successfully defeated Suzuki and is the U.S. champion from this point going forward. <laughs> they control the edit
0: and they control reality. All right. Oh. They are controlling transmission, mm-hmm. they control the horizontal and the vertical. Correct. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, I thank you very much. This has got to be truly one of the most
7: historic evenings I can recall in the ranks of professional wrestling. Here in Nashville, Tennessee, tonight, in front of this capacity crowd, the chant of USA, USA, and WCW, as WCW wins 4-3 the World Cup. Of wrestling, ladies and gentlemen. Let's hear it for these men. Sting Chris Benoit, the total package. Lex Luger, Alex Wright, Johnny B. Bad, and Eddie Guerrero. Gentlemen, I want you to take this cup, and tonight, somewhere in this great city, we can sip champagne and be proud of world championship wrestling and this great sport. Fill her up, gentlemen. Fill her up. Sting. I've got to tell you, this crowd electrified, and you certainly excited them in this final match of the international competition. You've still got some work to do.
6: I sure do, but I just got one thing to say. USA!
7: Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say, I hope this becomes a tradition at Starcade because certainly this is one of the most prestigious international events like the Ryder Cup in golf, like the Stanley Cup in hockey, like the World Series itself. Truly, this is a memorable moment for these seven men. Tony, Bobby Heenan, and the American Dream Dusty Rose, you can really appreciate this. Gentlemen, let's get back to you.
0: Benoit and Wright are right there, Sting. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh. Oddly, Gene congratulates the WCW wrestlers and and lists off the WCW competitors, but he misses listing Macho Man because he's just kind of suddenly not there anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's disappeared at some point. I never saw when he left. I didn't even notice Randy was gone either. (laughs) I only noticed it because Gene doesn't say his name. And I was like, wait, he didn't say Randy Savage. And then I looked and I'm like, oh, Randy Savage is not in the ring. (laughs) Where, Where did he go? So, yeah, that was odd. Oh, that was a tiny puff of smoke where he was once standing. Yeah. (laughs) This plays up the historic angle a bit much, and despite Gene's hopes, yeah, they're not making this a tradition. But still, it was kind of cool to see everybody out to celebrate, and Luger and Sting holding the trophy together as a nod to the friendship storyline.
2: It's definitely a bad idea to bet against Sting winning tournaments on Starcade. Yes. Because, let's see, he won the Iron Man singles tournament, correct? Mm -hmm. He won the... King of Cable Tournament, mm-hmm. which also got him a cup, yep. by the way. He won first Battle Bowl. Yep. And now he won this. Yeah.
4: Yeah,
0: he's uh, four for five then. Yeah. Because he missed the second Battle Bowl. He didn't yeah. win, but otherwise he's good.
2: Yeah, and to be fair, in a show where you can win two trophies, winning one of them is good. Yeah, just, yeah, it's yeah, awesome. yeah,
0: that's so that's good.
2: Yeah. I'd say it's. i say it's a wash. We win one of the two trophies in one night. Yeah.
1: yeah. The cup is very elaborate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's very large. I give them that. It's not like, they, they I guess they were going for like the Stanley Cup kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But when they're announcing it, it makes it sound like something more like soccer. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: The announcers talk up the win. Tony and Dusty are happy, while Heenan looks depressed. Heenan says he's going to have to give the Lexus back. (laughs) Tony throws to a video package on the upcoming Triangle match. Triangle man. Yeah, I
2: was thinking that too.
5: Three men. One title. Three of the top superstars in the history of WCW will vie for the chance at facing WCW world champion Macho Man Randy Savage. The Macho Man won the title in World War III when he was the last man left in the ring. Or was he? The replay footage error could not show the final verdict. However, Savage is the champion. The contenders? Lex Luger. He returned to WCW in September and made his intentions clear.
9: I'm here for one reason and one reason only.
5: To take that belt. Luger claims he is the uncrowned world champion with previous victories over Savage, as well as many bizarre incidents with his manager, Jimmy Hart. The other, Sting, who has kept his friendship with Luger intact throughout Luger's bizarre actions over the past few months in WCW. However, many have been wondering about Sting. As one of WCW's most popular athletes, he has been involved in many bizarre incidents as well, causing many, including Hulk Hogan, to question his allegiance.
10: I just want to know what's the deal with Luger, and you know
5: what side you're on. However, none can question Sting's purpose. He wants to regain a title he has held in the past, regardless of friendships. Finally, there is the nature boy, Ric Flair, a man with a definite advantage. Luger and Sting will wrestle earlier in the night during the World Cup of Wrestling competition. Flair merely has to wait until the end of the night. He will be fresh. He will be ready. A coin toss will decide which two men will begin the triangle match. A man can tag out at any time. However, the man who scores the pinfall will go on to meet Savage. Will Luger turn on Sting just as he has everyone else in WCW? Will Sting's hatred of Flair consume him and cause him to be eliminated? Or will Flair's experience and readiness pay off? The fate of WCW's elite hangs in the balance, and an anxious world champion awaits the conclusion of one of the most anticipated matches in WCW history.
1: I like how they inverted the, or changed the triangles around so it, it is not the Triforce or a yeah. <laughs> inverted Triforce or any sort of real pyramid.
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I understand if they rotated all the way around and then they did the triangle like this, but at the top they kept it one way and then put the points down on the bottom too. It was weird.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You think you could rely on WSW
2: to, if nothing else, know what a pyramid looks like? Alas, no. No. Or happy at work, for that matter, given how <laughs> cruising this is.
0: I thought this did a pretty good job, though, of covering the people involved in the world title angle, and the honestly fairly complex story that's been going on around them. There's a lot of ridiculous Dungeon of Doom stuff going on in WCW right now, but the Sting and Luger angle and how it affects Sting's alliance with Hogan and Savage is actually pretty interesting, and Sting and Luger perform it well. It's neat to see Sting in a situation where he's torn between friendship and his usual solid good guy role, and it feels like it adds some depth to his character, while not breaking away from the Sting that we know and love.
2: It's interesting how Hogan's still mentioned here, even though they wrote this whole show around squeezing him just out of the yeah. way, but you still have to hear him at least once in there.
1: Well, I mean, it's an important part of the, of the Sting and Luger stuff, still. Mm-hmm. At least explains what happens in the triangle match better than a lot of the other matches.
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a match with some unusual rules, so
0: it's good to actually have a little bit of coverage of that before the match begins.
2: It's unusual mm-hmm. even in the context of what a triangle match previously was in WCW. Yeah. The last time that was there was involving Sting, Big Bubba, and Vader—I think I lost one before this—where it was just
1: an elimination match.
2: So two people wrestle and then whoever's left wrestles the next guy.
1: Can the third interrupt the pin?
0: No, uh, no. In that one, it was actually two people straight wrestled a normal match, and then whichever one won that one, the next guy would then come down the ramp. Where in this one, it's all three guys out there, and there's tag rules. Apparently, <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: And not elimination, which would make it more interesting.
1: Yes. I mean, it makes sense. Like, if you're tired, you can tag out, but then you can't have... You have no possibility of winning, and you have no guarantee that anyone's going to tag you in.
0: Yeah. So the rules of the triangle match... Here's what I've gathered from the video package and from the match itself. It's a three-way match, but only two men are in the ring at a time. The third man stays on the apron and can be tagged in by either competitor to switch off. One pinfall or submission wins the match, but... I think if someone is disqualified or counted out, that person's eliminated and the remaining competitors can still keep fighting. It's a pretty confusing match design, and I much prefer three way matches where everyone's in the ring at once. It's less confusing to explain, and there's interesting double team spots that can happen then too. Our next match is Sting versus Lex Luger versus Ric Flair in a triangle match to determine the number one contender for Randy Savage's WCW World Heavyweight Championship. The referee for this match is Nick Patrick. Luger, as promised earlier, comes to the ring without Jimmy Hart. He gets some nice pyro as he flexes. Flair is out second in a golden sparkly robe. Flair spots the guy in the crowd dressed as Hulk Hogan and points and yells at him for a moment. (laughs) Sting is out third, sans jacket and Heenan builds up that if he wins the triangle match, he's going to end up having to fight three matches in a row. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Sting's position in the World Cup meant that if one side reached four points early, he'd have gone into the triangle match fresh. But, since it went down to the wire and required all seven matches, Sting had to wrestle right before the triangle match, which is right before the world title match, In contrast, Luger had the third match in the World Cup, so no matter how things went, he'd have to have that match. But because of its placement, he's had time to rest. Yeah. And Flair, of course, didn't have to wrestle at all before this. Mm -hmm. So there's three different conditions. Kind of thought that was a cool uh, contrast over the course of the night. Either Sting or Luger, I couldn't tell which, knocks Flair down before we've even started. And Flair goes after Sting when his back is turned. There's an odd bit, as Tony says, they'll have a coin toss with three coins, and whoever's coin comes up different from the others will start on the outside, but we don't see the coin toss, and Patrick just orders Lucre outside, motioning like it was the result of a coin toss, but I definitely didn't see a coin toss. Did either of you? No, I didn't either.
1: No, I had to toss my own. (laughs) What had come up? Side. I mean, edge. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I knew him,
0: I know. Sting and Flair start, and Flair struts and gives a woo. Sting responds with a stinger call to cheers. Tony brings up the Starcade 84 Flair versus Dusty match that was for a million dollars. Dusty says he'd had the money spent before the match, so maybe that explains why he was so angry at Joe Frazier. <laughs> I think we all shared that rage, to be fair. Sting dominates with power and goes right to the Scorpion Deathlock but Flair gets the ropes before he can lock it in. Flair rolls out to recover. Back in, Flair focuses on Sting's arm with hammer locks, strikes, and snaps across the ropes, and wears Sting down. But after a chop in the corner, Flair struts, but Sting recovers and walks along behind Flair, then does his own strut when Flair turns around before hurling Flair half across the ring. Great spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love how like, sarcastic Sting is again with the strut. Yeah, He's yeah. just making a great face the entire time i loved it
1: <laughs> he's happy
0: yeah sting with a drop kick and press drop and he hits corner punches stopping to bite flair what is with that lately Flare <laughs> rolls out and tries using the barricades but sting just fires right back and tony says that sting's got a rush of adrenaline and flair can't hurt him dusty asks if he said russian adrenaline <laughs> I love Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> back in, Flair begs for mercy, but Sting hurls him across the ring. Flair dodges a drop kick and drops a knee, and he's back in control, methodically taking Sting apart and taunting and beckoning to Luger. Heenan asks if Sting might be playing possum, <laughs> and Dusty has apparently never heard that expression in his life, asking how you would play possum. Do you go up in a tree and yell, I'm a possum, I'm a possum? <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's heard all, all the other sayings.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: Never mind if that was accurate. The hunter would be, hey, wait, that possum could talk. <laughs> Get it? <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, Luger takes Flair's bait and tries to charge in, and Patrick goes to usher him out. So Flair chucks Sting over the top rope to the poorly positioned ring steps and beats him up outside. Back in, a knee drop earns Flair five two-counts, and a (laughs) one-count. He gets six pin attempts off of one move. (laughs) Jeez. Sting recovers, pelting Flair with strikes and building to a superplex, for one, as Luger lunges into the ring, and Sting jumps to his feet to confront him. We get a stare down, and Luger backs away to the apron, but Flair attacks Sting from behind, but knocks him near Luger, who tags in. Luger flexes and roars at Flair, who begs for his life and tries to flee. Luger carries him back. Flair hits a cheap shot and briefly stuns Luger, but tries to shoulder block him and just bounces off. Twice. Luger overpowers Flair and gets a Flare flop, but Flair pokes Luger's eye and viciously strikes his knee. Flair rolls out and goes to grab a chair while Patrick is looking, so Patrick looks over at Sting for no reason, so Sting tries to get in so Patrick has a reason to be distracted. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not the best Nick Patrick moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Flair nails Luger in the knee with the chair, then builds to, and gets, the figure four, using the ropes. Sting tries to tell Patrick, but Flair acts innocent. Flair gets several two-counts, but slaps Luger, who fires up and rolls him over. Flair breaks the hold. Luger comes back with a suplex for two, and a top rope move by Flair goes as usual.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Luger no-sells chops and a shoulder block, and Flair backs off, and tags Sting. The crowd gets really excited. Luger and Sting shake hands, and the crowd actually boos at that, wanting to see the fight. We get clean breaks in the corner to start, and Luger is the first to land a strike, even running Sting into the turnbuckles. They get more aggressive with harder punches and clotheslines, and Flair tries to sneak in a cheap shot, but Sting is wise to him. Sting knees Luger in the face, and Luger responds with a screaming clothesline to knock him flying, then drops Sting on the top rope and steps on his throat. The announcers do a really great job highlighting the escalation in violence between the friends and how Luger in particular is bending the rules. Both counter jumping moves. Luger drops vicious elbows but only gets two, and Sting slugs Luger down for the scorpion Deathlock, but Luger grabs the ropes. Patrick tells Sting to break, and Luger takes advantage of Sting's distraction to slug Sting in the little stingers. <laughs> Reflexes, Heenan says.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Happens <laughs> to me all the time.
0: Luger gets overeager, and Sting rolls him up and Sunset flips him for two counts, then counters a suplex into his own snap suplex. Tony nicely points out that they've been avoiding Flair's corner so he can't tag in. And indeed, Sting clearly intentionally whips Luger away from Flair's corner a moment later. Stinger splash, but Luger dodges a second and gets the torture rack, but accidentally hits Patrick with Sting's boot. Patrick visibly shields himself early.
2: He's just very smart.
0: Just wasn't (laughs) smart enough. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Flair charges and hits Luger's knee to send him out, then chucks Sting over the top rope. Flair nicely wakes up Patrick, who starts counting. Sting gets up, but Luger grabs his arm, and both are counted out, to give Flair the win. Sting checks on Luger, who's still holding his knee. Sting looks irritated, but Luger says something to him, still in pain. Sting asks why Luger grabbed his arm. Jimmy Hart runs out and confronts Flair, getting in his face. Ref Randy Anderson comes out to check on things, and Hart talks to Flair, starting to look less like he's confronting him, and more like he's arranging some kind of partnership. Thoughts on this match?
2: Covering the obvious stuff right away. The rules are confusing. Yes. The fact that you can tag out, which means you can't win the match, in theory, anyways, Mm -hmm. is odd, to say the least.
0: Strategy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Strategery. (laughs) Stratego.
2: (laughs) I don't have a third one. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I win. That's how that game
3: works.
2: (laughs) I haven't ever played Trigo. Anyways, uh, (laughs) the other thing is the match is kind of too long. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because it's basically three matches sort of squished together.
0: Believe me, my show notes agree.
2: (laughs) We've gotten a Sting Flare match on, what, at least two Starcades? Mm -hmm. Um, Different years to close the show out? Yeah. So it's not like this is a new match. We definitely had two uh, Luger Flare matches. One was a main event, obviously. It was during the right multi-tournament show, and one was actually made main event. So that match isn't exactly fresh either. Mm-hmm. If they had made this an actual threat match, and of play with the rules that way, I would have discounted something more out of it, because you could have played up Sting and Luger teaming up, but then, as usual, one goes for a pin, and that yeah. part, you didn't even play the idea that at that point, Luger might team with Flair against Ding, and he has really a you know, betrayal. All this sounds really interesting, and we describe the sort of inner workings of the match, but how it's about how these two would fight against each other, and Flair taking advantage. It sounds interesting, it's just the match is, what, 28 minutes long? It's a very lengthy match, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's too long for this point in the show, and just for what it is, because it is three matches put together. And obviously, I take a little issue with the way the finish works, given that the whole point is you have to tag in because you're not tagged and you can't win the match. So, of course, Flair makes sure to somehow win while not tagged in the match at all.
0: (laughs) Just a giant screw you to the rules, apparently. Yeah. I actually have to say, I kind of like the concept of the ending. I think it's
1: outside the box, (laughs) literally.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean it's but there's some execution problems like Patrick bumping rather poorly for it and, and and all. But I actually like it as an indication of Flair as the ultimate wily wrestling villain mm-hmm. that this is a match where the announcers all night are telling you the problem with tagging out in this match is you can't possibly win outside the ring. And then Flair, the ultimate wily wrestling villain, finds a way to win mm-hmm. outside the ring. I get that it's a weird thing, but I think it didn't bother me because the match itself was such a weird concept to begin Mm -hmm. with, that I think, for me, that ending actually worked quite well. I like that it also, from a storyline perspective, really did a good job of adding further intrigue to the Sting and Luger stuff. Sting losing specifically because Luger grabbed his arm. Mm Mm-hmm. But you're not sure, wait, did Luger grab his arm to stop him from winning? Or, as he's lying there grabbing his knee afterwards, is it because he's hurt and he just instinctively reached out to a friend?
2: Right, right. Well, and I think my, my point of the overall is just, like I said before, when you're describing the, what this part of the match was to mean, what this person means, how it plays in the dynamic, that sounds interesting. It's just, mm-hmm. the way it ultimately plays out for me is not as interesting as it should be. mm mm-hmm. It's going back to where Flair is tending to be the black scorpion. In theory, the idea that Flair becomes a different character to wrestle Sting and his outfit and all this nonsense with the magic is interesting, but the match itself is just not that interesting to me, Hmm. unfortunately. It's kind of the same thing where describing the idea is oh, it's interesting, but then you watch it, "Eh, I guess. Hmm. It didn't sell me as much as it should have. Okay. I get that it's it's supposed to be a cheap finish, um, intentionally so. to make you bad at flair if the match was paced differently and then that happened i'd be accept that but as a combination of things i don't like it as much okay
1: yeah i'm gonna agree with you both that it was a long match but i i think that it might have something to do with flair being fresh and i'm sure he would negotiate <laughs> to have some screen time true he loves long matches for sure and that and when uh Luger and Sting, you know, it's been hyped up to this point. They want to make sure that they don't diminish that that portion of the match. Even if it mm-hmm. is Flair versus Sting and Flair versus Luger, those are the other matches. But the one that they're really hyped for is Luger and Sting. So they, they probably extended that due to the crowd. And I think on a certain level, to your point there, they probably
0: extend the earlier segments a little bit too to make you wait for that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Because they they know... When these two get tagged in against each other, that's our most interesting situation right there. So we want to make sure that we
1: build to that effectively.
0: Maybe they overdo
1: it, but...
2: I, I, I understand what you're saying. I just think they overdo it for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: And I do think that Luger pulling Sting at the very end could be any number of things. It could be helping himself try to get up and get back in the ring with him. It mm-hmm. could be, oh, I got knocked out and I don't know what count it was, it was going on. Yeah. It could be... He really just didn't want Sting to win because, you know, they had just been fighting.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: If it can't be me, it's got to be, it, you know, might as well be Flair, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. As a, like a cliffhanger or kind of thing, it's like, oh, Sting's going to get back in. You know, is Sting and Luger going to get back in? Yeah. Could have been a nice cliffhanger. Yeah, I do praise them for the inventiveness, if you want to call it that, uh, of using it. I, I was not disappointed in this sort of DQ finish like I was in others.
0: Mm-hmm. It feels very story-driven in this case, where in some other ones it's more of a, uh, let's expressly put something in that just cuts off the storyline and you go... Because we want no-
2: another match, yeah.
0: Yeah, where this mm-hmm. one feels very much like, no, that actually is moving this to a new stage in the story.
1: And it also like if people are rooting at this point for sting and Luger because they're 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 excited about the match, they can lose in a way where they can still preserve their friendship maybe later on, or at mm-hmm. least they they're really yeah, at flair for moving forward, yeah, true, and they can team up again
2: well, as long as this builds to a big climactic match between sting and Luger, they'll be all worth it
0: <laughs> Yeah. actually, I Really liked this. I thought it was a good match. It is a little confusing. The rules are strange. But I think the three of them make the rules work really well. As Tony points out in the match, actually, nobody should actually want to tag out. So there's actually only two tags. Luger tags in himself off of Sting against Sting's will. And Flair tags out to Sting almost out of spite because he's absolutely frustrated trying to get anywhere fighting Luger and wants to send the friends against each other. I particularly liked how Sting and Luger avoided even getting to Flair's corner. Nice bit of storytelling there. Flair plays a great heel against both opponents, and all the taunting made sense. He's got a psychological weapon against both of them since they're friends, so he gets them to make stupid mistakes out of concern for each other. But there's a good sense of underlying tension, too, with Sting and Luger each wanting to win the match themselves. And there's a good payoff for that with them finally fighting and escalating in violence against each other until Luger is even choking his good friend. Yeah. And as I said, I really like the ending in concept and mostly in execution. The only thing that feels a little weird is the kind of happenstance Luger just accidentally knocking Patrick down. What was Flair's plan if that didn't happen? I guess is the question that bothers me on it. It feels like we should have seen that the horsemen were ready, or something like that.
1: they could have made it better, or at least heightened it a little bit more, if Flair was moving around the ring to try to get those tags, like, like when yeah, you, yeah, you know, and they just had to keep on trying to move away from corners, or you know he's narrowly avoiding things, so it it seems like he's still interacting uh the only thing that that, that may take away from their match because everyone's going to be drawing attention to flair, but if they hadn't done the the knockout thing, that's what I would see him doing.
2: Mm-hmm. Having listened to the video package again and explained the rules, they never address count out or DQ.
0: Right, yeah, which is a problem. I had to extrapolate yeah. just from what happened in the match on the theoretical rules that I went over. Like on that default, part.
1: two people are DQ'd. There's one that's not disqualified. Therefore, therefore he wins. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: Overall, despite the kind of strange rules and the odd ending, I liked this one. And I appreciated the nods in the match and announcing the vast history between these characters. There's lots of terrific character work, and I had a lot of fun watching it, despite its length.
2: From my memory, we've had three very long semi-main event matches with Sting on StarCades.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We had the one, but two shows back with him and Hawk against Nasty Boys, and then we had the match where it's him and Dusty against the Road Warriors. Mm-hmm. Of those three, this is the best one. Okay. Take that for what you will, I suppose.
1: Yeah. One other theory that Flair would do to try to get back in is, like, if he went behind the ref and, like, you know, pretended either Sting or, or oh, Luger was nearby, do the, do and, he, the. and he clapped his yeah. own hands, yeah,
0: and was like, <laughs> hey, let me in. Yeah, That could have happened, yeah. Heels love that move, and... Faces never try it. But in this case, it would actually make sense, where normally it makes no sense when yeah. they do it, because they're close enough to tag anyway. Right, right. But in this case, the, someone would be close enough to tag, but didn't want to, so he could fake a tag. Yeah.
1: That would have been an interesting part. Yeah. Yeah. And they could even make it comedic. After he does that, Luger gets eventually shoved out by the ref. Flair's, like, getting ready to do up the sting, and Sting just starts doing stuff. Flair just runs around the thing, and then, then tags... <laughs> <laughs> tags, tag, tags Luger back in. <laughs> that would be the kind of jerk
0: move that he would go for. <laughs> yeah. We go back to the announcers who discuss the upcoming title match. Heenan says that Savage, with his injuries, has to be shaking in fear. Heenan says Flair has won the title 11 times and now is going to be the 12th. Tony throws back to the original Starcade. And Flair's second title win. And then to the title match tonight, as Heenan gives us a good
4: woo.
8: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so our final match is Randy Savage versus Rick Flair for Randy Savage's WCW World Heavyweight Championship. The referee for this match is Randy Anderson, roughing his only match of the show. Oh yeah. Yeah. he run Randy Eller the rest of the night, Randy Eller and Nick Patrick. That's true. Savage comes out with a new green Macho Man shirt and bandana instead of his jacket and hat from earlier. I don't like those as well. Savage grabs the microphone from Michael Buffer to give us an
2: ooh yeah! That was pretty good yeah.
0: Buffer does the ring announcements, and Jimmy Hart appears to be managing Ric Flair now. Buffer says that Savage won the title at the greatest battle royale ever held, World War III. Well, it was certainly the most complicated. Look forward to World War Three. Oh yeah, that sounded like a threat.
2: <laughs> it does. Yeah, right. Look forward to World War Three.
0: Dala. We get a sign in the crowd that says "Snap flare like a Slim Jim." Nice. And then what? Eat him? Yeah, I guess so. Also, I guess that person wasn't too confident in Sting or Luger.
2: Yeah, he's not prepared for that. Yeah, one, or right?
0: they just made multiple signs. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That sign would explain all the biting. Yeah, yeah. Savage quickly gets a backslide for two. His bandana slips off, and he tears his shirt and throws it at flair. DQ, match over. <laughs> Just kidding.
1: All right. <laughs> Thoughts?
0: That was short. <laughs> technically, it's a, technically, it's a foreign object.
2: <laughs> There's a weird exception for if it's your, something you're wearing, though. It's often in wrestling rules.
0: Not, not, not with a boot. Well, you take
2: it off, and then actually...
0: But you, he took it off and used it. See?
1: I got you. You did bring it into the, the ring legally. Yeah, but same thing with the boot. What if he was doing a kick, and then it flew off his foot? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> Savage with early control
0: with a flurry of punches, as we see Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff standing on the ramp wearing a neck brace. The horseman pile-drove him on the cement floor not so long ago. Flair tries for a quick figure four, but Savage kicks him away. Savage counters a cheap shot with more punches and throws Flair to the corner, and Flair flips out over the turnbuckle to the apron to the floor. I love that spot, but actually I just thought, shouldn't that be a DQ? I mean, he he did an over-the-top rope to the floor.
2: There is a break there, so I think that's the exception.
0: I guess so. If you land on the
1: apron first, it doesn't yeah. count, I guess. Okay. At that point, you're knocking him from the apron to the floor. True, yeah. It is is perfectly really fine. Oh, I thought, no DQs for the first five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) There you go.
0: (laughs) Security Chief Doug Dillinger makes Orndorff leave, and Flair counters a Savage top rope axe handle to the floor with a gut punch, then uses the barricade and post against Savage's bad arm. Back in, Flair twists and strikes Savage's bad arm. Savage punches free with his good arm, but Flair gets a sleeper hold. Savage ducks to make him fall towards the ropes, but Flair catches himself. Savage gets a couple two-counts off of a huge punch and rapidly hits a back body drop and several clotheslines for more pin attempts. Jimmy Hart distracts Anderson as Flair counters another top rope double axe handle. Hart throws Flair his megaphone behind Anderson's back, but Savage steals it and, very gently, hits Flair with it. Flair is bleeding. Macho hits the big elbow, but Hart is still arguing with Anderson. Horsemen Brian Pillman and Chris Benoit run out, but Savage throws Pillman into Benoit. Anderson spots Pillman and holds him down, but the other Anderson, Arn, runs in and hits Savage with a loaded punch. Randy Anderson turns around to see Flair pinning Savage, and that gets the three count to give Flair the win and the title. A horrifically bloody Ric Flair celebrates with the Horseman and Jimmy Hart, who is still, by the way, wearing a Luger jacket. I mean, I guess he wouldn't have had time to get a Flair jacket designed, but it feels a little weird that he kept that on. Pillman charmingly spits on a camera lens. Pillman whips Savage with the big gold belt as Flair gets a towel to wipe off some of the blood. Arn stomps Savage and Pillman flashes the horseman sign in Savage's face. Flair and the horseman leave a battered Savage unconscious in the ring and Randy Anderson checks on him. <laughs> Tony accidentally says, The Macho Man is your winner. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Tony tells us that with Flair's medical condition at the moment, there will not be an interview as he needs to get his wounds treated.
2: Thoughts on this one? Put yourself in the mindset of our poor referee. Yeah. He's being held and yelled at by a guy for like, it feels like five minutes. Yeah, it takes a while. Even though the match is like six minutes long. So, he turns around. Not only is Randy Savage, who was last seen upright and fighting, unconscious, Ric Flair, who was perfectly clean or covered in blood. You kind of wonder what the hell happened while his back was turned. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jason Voorhees visited yeah. the arena. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, this match to a certain degree. the um, I like that it does a lot of action sort of condense into a small window of time. If only they had a way they got to cut time at some point earlier, maybe to make more time in this match. <laughs> but, you know, I uh, no choices there. There's a lot of good action there. I like that all the big spots are touched upon. There's definitely a match in Fast Forward. My problem is, like I said in my notes, just as it gets going, we get loads of interference, a blade job, and a screwy finish.
3: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So not only are they condensing what should be a 15, 20-minute match
0: into what? How long is the match?
1: I thought it was 10 to 15 minutes,
0: wasn't it? 8 minutes and 41 seconds. Okay.
1: People are tired. They need to go home.
2: (laughs) So they condense what should be a 15, 20-minute match into about 8 minutes... And it feels like there's too much going on, because we have super long ref distraction. We have two different people coming out together, and but at different points of the ring, so we can do the admittedly cool spot of throwing Pillman at Benoit. Yeah, but then Anderson had been waiting at the back, like behind a like a curtain, for a third person to interfere in this match. I get that they had to a screen finish to protect Savage, because at this point he is a obviously a big star for them. And then I get they sort of culminate how cheap Flair has been. But yeah, I feel like they could have cut 10 minutes from the previous match and added to this, had a lengthy match to build off this more. They had plenty of ideas to fill out a match. Mm -hmm. They just truncated it so much to make it fit in the time that they had. It's good, but it could have been really good.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Well, apparently I thought it was longer. (laughs) (laughs) I was in denial that you know we had... uh, manager distracting the ref for like 80% of the match. I, I figured it was...
2: <laughs> I feel like it, yeah.
1: But I, I have to give it to Randy punching Savage. It looked like a boxing match. And some of those those cells, or I don't know if they were cells, some of it looked really good. Yeah, he had some good punches. And, he was flattened, yeah. and it was great. I enjoyed that. It's the first time I've ever seen... Uh, and again, I know we talk about blading, but it looked like Randy was the one that bladed flair rather than him mm. doing it himself. I noticed that when he went uh, over to him after knocking him down, he was over and he looked like he was doing something, like, like you know, wrenching his head or whatever. But I think that's when the bl- You don't see any blood on his head until Randy walks all the way away and, like, does a jump. By that point, Flair, ha- his hair is red. Interesting.
0: I could see that being a possibility because Flair had the earlier match. They might have been nervous about the about it staying through two different matches or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'm almost certain that he did the blading and he was messing with his head to get it to start.
0: It is very possible.
2: It's <laughs> rare that you blade someone else.
1: But it is done. It,
2: yeah. yeah, it's just done, yeah.
1: That's what I noticed. And I was like, oh, I know what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's weird after so many years of Starcades where like the, the mat was red.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. It was like
1: a bloodbath. It's like forensic, you know. Murder scene. 85,
0: I think it is. I believe so. Every match. every match is a bloodbath. Yeah. Including
1: the one that actually should be a bloodbath. I'm not, like, a fan of it or anything, but, you know, it's it's interesting to see it come back in certain circumstances. Yeah, definitely.
0: The
2: question for me, I think, on that is, is it necessary? Because Flare Blades, or has, is bladed, what, 30 seconds before the match is over? Yeah, true. It feels really arbitrary that he had... The only possible explanation is that he doesn't really does not want to talk to anybody after the match. <laughs> so he's like, you know, this is worth it. I'm going to cut my forehead. I can go to the back and not talk to anybody.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You didn't want to be asked why it's only eight minutes.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. I didn't want Gene to ask him uh, who the other lady that was supposed to be on his
1: arm was going to be. He still hasn't thought of an answer. Still hasn't thought of another lady. <laughs> All I was going to say is it's worth the watch again to see uh, Savage, you know, I guess Blade. That shouldn't be what stood out in the match to me. That that shouldn't yeah, be the, the definitive... The highlight of the match. Mm-hmm. Then there's just a couple of those
0: punches, man. <laughs> yeah, there's one in particular that he really gets a good wind-up and just decks him. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a pretty fun match, if very much in a particular flare pattern. Macho starts off hot. Flair takes control and works the body part. In this case, the arm. Macho comes back, and we go to a finish. It's kind of flare 101 but it's a pattern that he uses because it generally works. Mm-hmm. There's some nice concepts here. I like Flair stopping himself from falling on the ropes when Macho escapes the sleeper, and Hart's throw of the megaphone to Flair was nice and smooth. Flair's arm work was good and makes sense in the story. If his opponent has a big bandaged limb, of course Rick Flair is going to go after mm-hmm. it. Flair does seem to take extra care on some of his moves, some of the wrist locks and such, He moves a little slower than normal to avoid wrenching on the arm too much. I believe Savage's arm actually is hurt. So, Flair seems to move a little slower on his wrist locks and such to avoid hurting Savage. But, simultaneously nicely, actually makes it look like he's taking his time to really lock the holds in hard. Yeah. So, it does a nice cover there. The ending. The ending is way, way over the top. And there's no way that I can believe that the ref didn't notice all the craziness going on, especially since he actually holds Pillman down himself. If we were talking, you know, Hart distracts Brandy and Arn runs in, punches Savage once and gets out, that's fine. But this is three different guys charging in to try different attacks in rapid succession, and one literally falls right by the ref. Well, by the way, he's actively struggling with Flair's kind of sort of manager, which in and of itself could have been a DQ for Hart trying to shove past him to clearly interfere. This went way past suspension of disbelief. I don't mind Flair winning the title by underhanded means. He's Flair. That's what he does. Yeah. But this really should have been toned down a tad. The match is perfectly fine and very entertaining, with Macho and Flair being two outsized personalities that did their best to get the audience into it, but the ending is just way too much. It's just like, what do you think, like you said earlier, what do you think's going on behind you, really? It's like, thud, thud, crash, boom, punch! (laughs) Whereas, yeah, I think if it had another ten minutes or
2: so, they could have had, you know, Pillman and Benoit trying to interfere, and that go nowhere, and then the match resumes... And then, yeah, you know, Arn Anderson, that part
4: happens. Yeah,
0: I could see that. Distributed a, a little. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's like a um, you make casserole with whatever's left in the, in the refrigerator. This goes in, this goes in, this, yeah, in, this yeah. goes in, this goes in. Anything left out? No.
0: <laughs> it's all going in there. You're yeah, going to enjoy definitely. it. Yeah,
1: definitely. How do you feel about Arn Anderson?
0: I love Arn Anderson.
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> this is kind of a weird period of time where they sort of start hot shining the title around a lot. Yeah. It really starts. Basically, in the post-war, at the three time, because they were coming off a pretty long Hogan title run. Coming off of this match, Sadwood would get a rematch on Nitro when win the title back? And yes, that match is in January. Yeah. Because of course it is, which would lead to them wrestling again in February on pay-per-view. Okay. <laughs> this story, this thing is not ending anytime no, soon.
0: No. No. Hmm. Back to the announcers and Heenan is all smiles. Heenan says, Flair did what he said he would do. He's world champ for the twelfth time. Someone flings something over the announcer's heads, and Tony looks at it bemusedly, as Dusty recaps Flair's night. Tony congratulates WCW on its win in the World Cup, and Flair on his world title win. He questions how Sting and Luger's friendship will develop, and notes that Hogan is going to make his return on Nitro. Heenan says he'll party with Flair and the Horseman tonight and gives woos while Tony closes up the show. And Starcade 95 is done. Overall thoughts on Starcade 95
2: So it's definitely a tale of two different, very different segments. With the exception of referencing story, the first seven matches on a, what, nine match show are pretty unrelated to everything. Yeah. They're all for the most part good matches. But you don't get a feeling of everything is building to one moment. Even on bad WCW shows, as we'll get to plenty of those later, The reference the world title match or whatever the big storyline of that show is throughout. So you always feel like it's going towards something.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But again, other than sort of fading references to, oh, Luger wrestled already, you know, Sting's got to wrestle, it's kind of its own universe. This whole, like, two thirds of the show is. Yeah. And then suddenly, you have basically 40 minutes, not counting intros and recaps, of here's all the important stuff, now that we're done with everything else. And it's weirdly balanced, because, again, two-thirds of it, of that segment, is now all one match, which is basically three matches, and then the final match is not even the longest match in the show. It's all about getting to this title match, and this title match is shorter than Alex Wright's match. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, huh. That's, that's, that doesn't feel like that's put together right.
1: Yeah, but it's Alex Wright. You want to keep him around.
2: Yeah, clearly. <laughs> interesting on the tournament part. I had a couple of interesting observations. That I don't know if the same thing. So, first off, all the Japanese wrestlers that win, they don't actually hit a finisher or get a submission hold. They always win by some sort of roll-up and pin.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: They never get a definitive win of this person is definitely better than him. You can maybe argue the Otani one, because that's counter-wrestling. I, I
0: would argue with the Otani one.
2: But it's part of a sequence. It is. So it's not like he counters up a pin and, and goes in like a brain buster and gets the win. Right. And it doesn't take away from them. their victory. Is just, it's less impactful than you think it would be. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that there's a real divide in a number of ways between at this point the mid-card wrestlers and the top-tier wrestlers. The top tier wrestlers all wrestle matches that are less than seven minutes long and win B of their signature moves. The mid card guys, the uh, three that lose, don't think they look, they're made to look bad necessarily, but they don't. The way the match is booked them is they don't get their big shining moment, like Luger countering and he gets big moves, stinging in the hold, and sabotaging the elbow. The only one that sort of breaks it is the fact Johnny B. Bad wins his match because you have to have a fourth
0: win. But he wins by DQ. Correct. Yeah, that's interesting.
2: It'll we'll get worse in later shows where they really differentiate the mid-card and it's like, you know the glass ceiling they talk about. Yeah. But there's a feeling on the show that the mid-card guys come out wrestle longer matches. Their own matches are 10, 11 minutes, 12 minutes long. But these have to be bad, which is shorter for a number of reasons. So they get to try and impress people, but they don't get the, initially the payoff of... The, you know, standing in victory and looking good. Mm-hmm. Whereas the top guys get to work less, and get to win, and get big cheers. And and that makes that would make you want to be a top guy, that's good. But since that it feels like you can't get anywhere as a, as a mid-card guy or lower-card guy, it's kind of sad.
0: I think the only thing that kind of argues against that point, though, is that all three of the top guys that you referenced have other matches later in the night. Mm-hmm. So I think there's maybe shorter, less because they're top guys and just want to have time to show off on this show, and more because, you know, Sting and Luger are going to both be in the triangle match, which is, as we've noted, quite long and, right, right. and physically demanding. And then Savage is going to have his world title match, which maybe doesn't go as long. I think if you combine Savage's two matches together, it's only a little longer than yeah. the otani Guerrero match. But Sting and Luger, I think, both have pretty lengthy performances tonight, so...
2: Oh, and I don't mean that in any way to deserve sort of disparage them for working less. Just, yeah. But the way the show is booked...
0: It is interesting think, looking at it from the
1: tournament perspective Right, itself. that's, that's yeah.
2: my point of view on that, yeah. They get to win in big ways, whereas the Mid Car guys either don't get to win or get to win in ways that don't really elevate them in at
1: all. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would have been better if they had saved the last cup match, or, the, you know, tiebreaker or whatever, for... after the triangle?
0: Hmm. That'd be interesting.
1: Flair would get to rest, or whoever won the triangle would get to rest, potentially. And then they would do the last match. But you might have someone still rest- wrestling two matches in a row.
0: Yeah, that that's an interesting thought. I yeah. don't know how that would affect the dynamics of the storyline. One thing I would
2: have done with the tournament is... Not thing Bob would suggest it necessarily, but... I would have had Sting and Luger there, because they are the big... Two of the four biggest people in the company. The cannons. I would have put them in a tag match. You guys are trying to
1: add tag matches? I mean, I had one. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, there's zero on this show. There's one. It's triangle match. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ideally, what I would have done if I obviously have full control of this theoretical situation, for one thing, I wouldn't have had Hogan not in the show. It feels weird that he just literally takes vacation on their biggest show of the year. every now out sort of a lazy way of he's just too aggressive. He's in the crowd. <laughs> yeah. Besides Hogan, there's one other thing that's really missing that makes this a true like competition between New Japan and WCW, which is that WCW's world champion he is wrestling in the tournament. New Japan is not. Mm-hmm. Great Muta is the world champion at this point in time, and he is not wrestling on the show or appearing in any way.
0: And we all would have loved to see Great Muta again. I'm yes. sure. So
2: it feels like a kind of an. Intentionally insulting that New Japan doesn't send their world champion, their best guy, to in this tournament that's supposed to be super important, apparently.
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: Don't hate me. I enjoyed the first segment of the show more than I liked the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> new Japan uh, being there was just a nice change up from previous years. It showed cooperation. You got to see the, uh, how many new faces. You know, it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish they kept that direction. I <laughs> not necessarily in Starcade, but
2: Yeah, I wouldn't another Starcade like this, but it would have been good to have another show up for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that may have been the intent, but I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I was looking for Muda, you know, I, although I didn't know that he was champion or anything like that. Even the commentary was a little bit better during that. Not I'm not counting all the stereotype and all that. No, yeah, crap. obviously
2: conception. There's a lot of
1: good sides to it as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what that's what I meant. I was I was a little drained after the triangle match. It, it, the second half, even though it isn't the whole half, <laughs> the <laughs> second, the second third, or whatever you want to call it, the last portion, you know, the triangle match was drawn out. And we have seen other matches on Starcade that were, uh, in my opinion, even though they might have been shorter, felt more drawn out than that match.
2: Yeah, that tag match with Sting and Hawk, for instance. Yeah, that felt longer. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Mister T versus Kevin Sullivan felt like the longest three minutes in creation at times.
1: <laughs> I like how it stood out from other starcades, mm-hmm. and I enjoy that. And and, and Randy Savage, awesome.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: were you glad that he wrestled on this show as opposed to
0: merely showing just showed up? up. Yes, yes. <laughs> No, I, I totally see where you're coming from on that. The The early portion of the show feels totally different than any other Starcade that we've seen thus far. Yeah. There's performances that we've never gotten, and a whole slew of performers that I've only seen on this show. There's some, obviously, like Liger that we've seen previously, Yeah, but there's a bunch of the performers in those matches are like only people that we've seen on this show and i'd like to see them again
2: it's kanamoto uh motani and Tenzin.
0: yeah so three of the seven right mm-hmm. so three of the seven are people that we've never seen before and that i liked so <laughs> yeah and
2: zaki is only in one one person in, in right, an attack yeah, match yeah yeah
1: and i also like that the first two matches they were lengthy, and they were fast. They weren't They're were energetic. Yeah. They built mm-hmm. on each other. The third one tapered off a little bit, but it had, still had something unique to offer. I guess when you go up and wait, class, things slow down. A <laughs> little bit,
2: yeah. Usually.
1: But, no, that's just, like, for safety. Probably. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I know, yeah. It was a great start, and I think that left a, a stronger impression on me than the finish.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that, definitely.
1: Yeah, this was a
0: very entertaining show. It's strange. There's next to no storyline content that affects anything outside this Starcade until we hit the Triangle Match and World Title Match, but despite that, this was an easy show to get into and a really fun watch. The match content is just terrific for much of the night, and even some matches that don't quite hold up are actually still good fun. Some don't quite reach their potential or don't get quite enough time, but most are really great, and I came out of watching this with a few new performers I'd really like to look up so I can see more of their work. High-quality performances, low story content, it's like the exact opposite of Starcade 94. (laughs) Yeah. The World Cup storyline, even if the announcers and wrestlers do constantly call it the USA versus Japan rather than WCW versus New Japan, is nicely done. I mean, I think all of us knew it was going for all seven matches. Yeah. But they do a good job getting there, and there's quite a lot of tension over that, with the scoring going back and forth. Aside from maybe Savage's match, which has to end in his win for Sting's match to happen, I never felt like I knew from the start how any one match was going to go. I liked that the WCW wrestlers encouraged each other and called out each other's matches throughout the night. There was a real team atmosphere, and that provided a really nice contrast to the triangle match storyline that pitted Sting and Luger against each other, After they fought on the same side through the World Cup. The Sting and Luger friendship angle was used very well here, with both doing a good job of setting up how they're sticking together despite people's criticisms, celebrating together after the World Cup win, showing concern for each other as each faced flare, and finally struggling to maintain their friendship as they competed directly. The show leaves them in a really interesting place, with Luger having actively caused Sting's loss but in a way that suggests that he was looking for sympathy from a friend, not actually trying to hurt Sting's chances. It's a strong story that works well, and I liked seeing it highlighted. I talked about this at the start, so I won't dwell on it, but there's way too much use of stereotypes about Japanese people on this show, both in terms of commentary and in the show's general plotline, most notably the bit between Sonny Ono and the Diamond Doll, which is just downright offensive. The stereotype comments and storyline elements were a big problem for the show and just keep coming up, though more often in the early matches. I just can't ignore them, though. They're a black mark on an otherwise good show. Other than that, the announced team was a highlight of the show. Dusty, Tony, and Heenan play off each other well and alternate between really good discussions that make useful insights about the matches and wrestlers and utterly hilarious bickering. Mm-hmm. Dusty and his wonderful dustyisms and Heenan's increasingly perplexed reactions to them had me in stitches. And Tony plays a very good straight man caught between the two. There's moments where he just breaks down laughing and those were great. Mm-hmm. It's clear the three had a good time working together here. And when you're listening to three guys having fun talking about something, it's hard not to have fun yourself. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Again. I can't just let the jokes about stereotypes slide, unfortunately, and those are a black mark on their performance, but there is enough fun content there to still make a net positive for the announced team, I think.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Otherwise, this was a really easy watch, with two good storylines, one self-contained, and a lot of great matches. I think I can recommend this one, but just be warned that there are some pretty uncomfortable moments in the mix.
2: I, I agree with pretty what you said. I just wish they could have done more to bridge the two sections. Mm-hmm. It's good for in ring action, but there's definitely a disconnect in the way it was put together. Mm-hmm. But if you wa- you can watch it for what it is, it's a bunch of really interesting matches, but as a it's not a fully cohesive unit, I would say. Hashtag need more Muda.
1: There you go. <laughs> there was plenty of aerobatics, but you know, hey, why not? There's no mist. Oh, sure. <laughs>
2: So, then we That's one thing we absolutely missed. No pun intended. Oh, gal. Uh,
0: well, it's time to do Match of the Night and MVP. Al, you want to go first?
2: Okay, sure. So yeah, there's a bunch of strong matches on the show. For me, I had to basically put it down to the matches that had a full beginning, middle, and end, and had the time to actually deliver. So unfortunately, that excludes... Stuff like the Sting Sazaki match and the Savage Tenzin match, and even the Luger Chono match. And so it really came down to me to one match that really stood out, has a flawed story, has worked really well, has the right amount of time to actually get things happen, and that would be Shinjiro Otani versus Eddie Guerrero.
0: Kind of, yeah, I figured we were going there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> And on that note, my MVP, based on the match itself and the fact that he had a pre-match promo, which helped, of all the, thi- all the people, he got to actually really first build up the fact that this tournament is supposed to be important, even if I don't necessarily believe it. He seems sincere about it being important that to win and important that he's part of it. And also the fact that after he, his loss... You can visibly tell that he's upset. Mm-hmm. He makes sure to be in the back of the frame. This really being upset at himself for losing. So my MVP is Eddie Guerrero.
1: Okay, all right, John. No, Eddie did amazing. I think this is the first K we see him in, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and I you know I enjoyed him there, and they did have a good storyline, or at least you know a snippet of one. Honestly, it's it's one of the better matches uh, of the night. But I cannot tell you how happy I was to see Jushin Liger <laughs> again. Fair enough. And so I'm probably going to choose that for my favorite match. Because it, it, it unlike a large percentage of Starcades, there's always a slow start. Mm-hmm. And we didn't yeah. have that this time. With Liger, I, I, he hardly ever wins that, that I'm aware of. So,
2: mm-hmm. And it's in the States anyways, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was nice to see that that was a strong start, and and they hadn't ramped up the whole offensive train.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's true, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, at time, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So as is an initial impression that stuck with me throughout the entire, at least the first seven matches. That would be my favorite match. Okay, and my MVP is going to be Dusty because again, with those seven matches or all the matches. His his quirkiness and interplay and everything. This is the first time announcing, and I loved every second of it. I'm like, why isn't he? Why isn't he an announcer? At, at, I in knew you were going to love Dusty Rhodes announcing. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's not an announcer in the shows that he's in. He should be announcing his own matches. As he's as he's fighting, <laughs> like last Arcade, Al picked the announcer because mm-hmm. the the show was just horrid. But <laughs> yeah, this is still a great show. But it would not have been I wouldn't have made so many pauses and 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 reflected on what was actually happening in the ring if if I didn't have to wade through all the 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 craziness coming out of, <laughs> out of him it it lightened my mood it 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 was still a commentary that made me think about what was going on it made the entire show better
0: all right Am oh, I- and my one more thing before okay. I forget
1: about it, yep sorry. This is ahead, not important. Yeah. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. Uh, possums are North America's only marsupial. Okay.
2: Do-do-do-do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe Dusty would have, co-
0: would have understood the reference if they said uh, playing marsupial. Mm. Yeah. My match of the night, I'm going to agree with you, Al. It is Eddie Guerrero versus Shinjiro Otani by A Country Mile. <laughs> It was absolutely brilliant, two performers at their very best, putting on a terrific show of technical ability, strength, and agility. I already very much enjoyed watching Guerrero, but this match made me really want to track down more from Matani, who impressed me greatly. There are other very good matches on this card, in fact most of the card is very good, but some jaw-dropping moves in this match, combined with a solid work for the duration and a terrific edge-of-your-seat ending, made it pretty easily my match of the night. For my MVP, I'm going to give it to Luger. All right. All right. Maybe I'm just glad to see him back, but he had a good night. He had a fun match against Chono, did a good job building up the angle with Sting. Compliments to Sting on that, too, of course. Yeah. Did great work on the apron and in the ring in the triangle match, and really brought the intensity to the portion of the match where he faced Sting. Sting is an important part of all that, too, and is excellent. But Luger really showed how his drive to win was getting between him and his friend, and letting his dark side emerge, even against Sting. So I thought he did a great job with some complex character work, and that earns him my MVP. Yeah. Can't argue with that. And that wraps up our review of Starcade 95. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can search for us on Twitter or Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring. Follow us for episode announcements and other show details and share your own thoughts about the Starcades as we go through. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a nice review on iTunes and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us. Many thanks to OSW Review for attendance and pay-per-view figures and to Gina Trujillo for our logo. Join us next time for Starcade 96, not your typical warm, fuzzy holiday special. Like any of the other Starcades have been? Yeah. <laughs> that is the official tagline, by the way. Oh, okay. I was going to say, is that actually it? <laughs> yes, it is.
2: <laughs> I mean, I watched Santa Claus Congress of Martians and he didn't cut his forehead open during the final battle with the Martians, so that does stand out a little bit.
0: <laughs> this is Bob Moore for Alec Pridgeon and John Mullins, signing off. Good night, everybody. Happy wrestling. Get some rest. <laughs> actually i'm gonna fill my water before i start that up
1: you won't teeter-totter
0: yeah So,
2: gonna walk the light fandango to the kitchen
1: so bobby doesn't slip and go butt over teacup
2: yeah do 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 do, 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 doo do, do, do.
1: <laughs> <sighs> dusty.